Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. As always, we are here to talk about stuff and as always, we are here to apologize for the long hiatus. Yes. Stuff happens. Yeah. So you were out of town yes. in terms of Boulder. Yes. And then I wasn't sure when you would be back. Like, I'm then, not sure where I'm going to be at any given time. And then I was assistant teaching a class for three weeks, and that right. was a whole thing. That was yeah. busy, because if you've never done summer classes at a college, that's just kind of a marathon. Yes, it's, it's super intense yeah. for the time you're taking it. Yes, and so anyway, did all that, got done with that, and then I was like, I don't even know where Sean is. And then time slipped by, and then I was, E3 came this week, and I'm like, Sean, want to do a podcast? It's like, yes, because yeah. I just spent... I am dead. Like, when you sent me that text message, it was, like, right at the end of the Sony press conference. It was like, I can't feel anything anymore because I have just spent the entire day watching these funky press conferences. Well, I know... I have to have an outlet for this, this torture I put myself through. I feel the same way, and it's in part just E3 is, I think, a tradition we have on this show to yeah. talk about and do an episode about, so... Yeah, I was doing the same thing. I was watching the press conferences, and it's like, this has to go towards something, or else I'm really watching these for nothing. Yeah, and it's like, it literally consumes your entire day if you want to watch all the press conferences. There's nothing else you can do. Even if you're not watching them, just, you can't really do other stuff because you want to follow Twitter. Yeah, even if you're, yeah, just like keeping up with the news and not watching them directly, yeah, it's still like, because I watch the attention. We'll get to this. Like, I watch the big ones. I'm not as crazy as you, and I didn't watch all, like, like EA. I didn't do that. But if you watch the shit ones, like, those are secretly the best ones because that's where the dumbest shit happens. That's true. That's true. But that's why you're here. So anyway, this episode is going to be devoted to E3. Um, I know we've missed like all of the month of May and half of June, so we do have a lot to catch up on. And we will also do an episode either coming later this week or next week um, on summer movies. We might record that at the same time. We'll see how this day goes. But we're going to talk about at least uh, Avengers 2 and Mad Max, yeah, which are... Sure. You know, Mad Max. Like, Avengers is good. Mad yeah. Max is great yeah. and very deserving of discussion. Because for me, it's the best movie this year so far. Summer, you know, indie, wide release, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Like, I almost regret that we didn't manage to do an Avengers two podcast before Mad Max. Because yeah. now it just feels like all the air of Avengers two is sucked out because Mad Max was that fucking good. Well, it's just it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, Avengers is a good superhero movie. Mad Max is kind of a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's a like. It's such a refreshing shift in summer blockbusters, yeah. you know, it like completely breaks the mold of how those movies have been made for a while. It does, but on the same hand, I think that's going to be fun to talk about them together because yeah. I think it is instructive. Because I don't, I don't think it makes Avengers look bad. No. It does make it look, it, it shines some light on things. So. Yeah, it, it almost like immediately makes it look dated in a weird way, just in the way it's structured. Yeah, but, plot-wise, but. we know you've all seen those movies by now, and I'll do, you know, a rant on Jurassic World because that movie is fucking stupid, but you all gave it money. Me too, so... I mean, I didn't. Okay. I was like, I don't even really like... This is my dark secret. I don't even like Jurassic Park, like the original movie, that much. I think it's yeah. like... I recognize that it's an important movie. I don't think it's that good. I really like Jeff Goldblum in it. Yeah. It's like, it's just kind of an okay kind of thriller. The sad part is there are so many moments in Jurassic World where you could have had Jeff Goldblum say something ironic, or the crazy hunter guy go, clever girl. <laughs> and they didn't have either of those guys uh, in it, so yeah. fuck that movie. Anyway. And, you no, know, f- double fuck that movie because there's no feathers on the dinosaurs, and it's like... They try to the do... One, the one thing that Jurassic Park could be good for is, like, mildly educating the public on, like, what we know about dinosaurs, and it can't even do that. Yeah. So, fuck... 
Fuck everything about it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Anyway, that'll be a uh, topic for another podcast. Today is all about E3 and some other little things. And I should say, before we get started on things, this will sound a little different just because we're in a slightly different recording location than we've been in a while. Sean's basement. Yes. So it might be slightly more echoey, but there shouldn't be any ambulances. So Yeah, that's that's the nice thing about suburbs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We don't have, like, some fucking pyromaniac or someone who lives around us setting fires constantly so that the fire trucks just constantly go by. Yeah, okay. So Sean and I, just so you know, we haven't seen each other in like a month and a half. Yeah. So this is catch up for both of us. Yes. Outside of our apartment in Boulder, I am not kidding you, every week since you've been gone, there has been a massive wreck in the uh, intersection by our house. That every weirdly, week. it picks up in the summer for some yeah. reason. Like, it, that's, it never, it, when I was there, it was never that frequent, but over the summers it would always be like, maybe like, once, twice a week, it would, you just all of a sudden, boom! And like, you know, car crashes are really loud. They you are. Don't think about how loud they are. You're like, did did I just did I just explode? Did my entire condo just explode? I don't know what happened. Well, it's always the fear for me. Drivers in Boulder are bad enough that I think yes, it's a remote yeah. possibility, but it's a possibility one of them is going to drive through, through our apartment. Yeah, that's always my fear because we are right, like our condo is on the ground level, literally right next to a very like big intersection. Yeah. so And it's an intersection with horrible traffic management because what they need is a left turn light and that's why these accidents happen because yeah, they don't right. have one. And it's always two people turning and they crash. And this, this last one was just a three car pileup and I'm looking at it and it's like... Jesus, people. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of these days Not I'm going to be sitting here and it's just going to be that scene from Spider-Man 2 where Doc Ock throws the car <laughs> through the cafe at Mary Jane. You know, it's just like, that's it. I'm dead because Spider-Man's not here to save me. Yep. I don't have spider senses, unfortunately. So you would be Mary Jane in this situation. Yes, I am Mary Jane in all situations. All right. I don't know what that means, but... Someone cut that out and make a loop of I it. I mean, I live in Boulder. I feel like we're all Mary Jane in all situations, if that's, you know what I'm saying. That's a good point. You know what I'm saying. Alrighty then. So let's, uh, before we get into E3 stuff, plenty of ta- stuff to talk about there. Let's just go through a couple of little things, catch right. up on stuff. I've got my own stuff here. You might have stuff. We'll get sure. to it. Yeah. First one, sad whenever we have to do this, but right. sometimes you got to. A little tribute to an actor we love. Christopher Lee passed away last week at the ripe old age of 93. Yeah. And, you know, this was an interesting thing to learn for me because... I love Christopher Lee. He's a great actor. He's he's had such an impact on modern cinema. Yes. In so many ways. And it's sad whenever anyone you, you love like that dies. But at the same time, I more than anything felt kind of this sense of happiness and pride thinking about this dude's life. Yeah. That he lived to 93, mm-hmm. was acting right up until the end. Yes. Was making impacts on cinema right up until the end. And when he died, there was this outpouring of information, and you learned about the life he led. They could make a movie about Christopher Lee's life. Yeah, they should. They and should it, make like a trilogy about Christopher Lee's life. That's and how it would crazy be it is. Great. Yeah. So that was kind of my reaction. Was just renewed respect for this guy. Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing where it's like I feel like the, the emotions you have when someone passes away because they're old and it's kind of their time, and the way when like someone is sort of tragically taken. They're so different, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there is that, like, when someone it passes away and they're young and it's too soon, like, it's really heartbreaking. And this, it is, it feels like now we have this opportunity to celebrate this amazing person who led this incredible life. And, you know, like, yeah, Christopher Lee, just, like, amazing, amazing, amazing actor, you know? Like, I, obviously, like, for a touchstone for us is, like, Lord of the Rings is so huge. You saw that when we were kids. But then also, like, when I got older and went back and watched a bunch of those old Hammer Horror movies, you know, with him as Dracula, 
the dude was fucking awesome. Like, the dude was always awesome throughout his entire life. He was 100% fucking awesome. And almost nobody can say that, you know? No. I mean, let's just swap some stories we've heard. One of the ones I wanted to start with, because you mentioned Dracula, I had heard... I read this the other day that, and he gave this in an interview that you know he did about, I think five Dracula movies for Hammer, yes, or something. And with those last couple of ones, he didn't really want to do them. He didn't think they were that good, mm-hmm. but he agreed to come back because the crew were his friends, and he didn't want to put them out. Yes, yeah, that is a class act. Yeah, that's a cool fucking dude. Yeah, my favorite ones are all the ones where like I was vaguely aware of this, but like I hadn't read a lot about it. But it's all the stuff where you know he was. He was basically like real life James Bond. You know, he was in the British Secret Services, like the precursor to the SAS during World War II. Did all this crazy spy shit. Stuff that like we don't know the details of what he did because he can't, he couldn't reveal it, you know. But it's stuff like, and it's something like one of the reasons that I knew about this is because they talk about it a little bit in the extended edition, like special features for uh, Return of the King specifically. Because there's that deleted scene from Return of the King where they kill Saruman at the top of his tower, stab him in the back. And there's like this great anecdote where Peter Jackson was trying to direct him on how to act when like he's stabbed in the back and like how he dies. He's just like, okay, I need you to give you a big scream. And Christopher Lee just says, Peter, have you ever heard the sound a man makes when he's stabbed in the back? Peter Jackson goes, no. Well, I do. <laughs> I know how to play this. <laughs> if you stab him forcefully enough in the back in the right spot, his lungs are going to collapse. I'm not going to be able to scream. It's this more coughing, sputtering sound. It's like, holy fucking shit, dude. Like that. And, and imagine all of that said in Christopher Lee's voice. Yeah, exactly. Like, in the Saruman, like, garb and stuff on the top of a fucking tower. It's like, fucking holy shit. He's just one of those guys, with Saruman in particular as the one I know best, you can't believe there was an actor that perfect out there for that part. Yeah. And I know he always wanted to play Gandalf, and I think he's expressed that that was a slight disappointment when he didn't get that, and yet, I'm sure he would have made a great Gandalf, yeah. he was the perfect Saruman, yeah. and those movies would have been lesser without him in that role, and I hope he, he realized that, and I'm mm-hmm. sure he did at some point, because yeah. there really are, you know, it's, it's very much that there's no small parts thing, Yeah, and uh, man, he made those movies better. Yeah, like, he like embodied that character so much that it's like, there's no way to imagine that character as anyone other than Christopher Lee or even like just in your imagination it just has to be Christopher Lee you know when you go back and read the books now that's yeah exactly it's like every line is in his voice in your head and stuff it's like he so completely was that character you know we didn't get the scouring of the Shire but you can read it and imagine Sharky being <laughs> yeah. Christopher Lee exactly that's great and uh, you know, he saw the last public guillotine execution in France when he was 17 yeah he saw that, and he wasn't even particularly young. He was 17. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. He, he lived a very long life, and as I said, just accomplished beginning to end. Yeah. So, that's pretty cool. Hats off to you, Christopher Lee. Absolutely. I'm sure you're doing, like, crazy awesome shit up in heaven right now, you know? Yes. I mean, you know, it was his stunt double doing that stuff in the last Hobbit movie. He's doing that for real now. Yeah. And God is, like, really jealous because his voice, like, Christopher Lee's voice is way better than God's voice. God's like... How does this happen? Like, this shouldn't even be possible. (laughs) Alrighty. So, Sean, what have you been up to? Anything? Any stories? Any stuff we want to talk about? Uh, Any games you've um, played? Yes. Yes. I have played a lot of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Okay. I wanted to ask if you'd played that. That game is really, really fucking good. Awesome. That game is crazy good. And it was a weird thing where I played, like, I want to say about 15 hours of The Witcher 1 on PC. Gave it... More than enough of a chance I could not get into The Witcher 1 on PC, mostly because the game was very outdated, 
the voice acting was terrible, and the combat was atrocious for The Witcher 1, so I just gave up on it. Never really got around to playing The Witcher 2, always wanted to because everyone said that it was a huge improvement. And then when I saw the reviews for Witcher 3, like, I wasn't really planning on getting it because of my reaction to Witcher 1, and I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll, I have nothing else I want to do right now. I am in the mood for a big RPG, I will download and start playing The Witcher 3. And that game captured me immediately, I think, like, right off the bat. Like, it's, it's a completely different game from The Witcher 1, and what it does in terms of, like, the combat's really fun and engaging. I should say that if, if people are listening to this and haven't played it yet, I would highly recommend bumping up the difficulty at least one notch, because I think if you don't do that, the combat suffers. And you can change the difficulty at any point in the game, you know? So it's, like, it's not a big deal. But I think, like, you should at least try doing it on the, like, one-up difficulty from the default and if that's too intense for you and you don't really like it, then you can knock it down. But it would be harder to start on the easier difficulty and then bump it up like later in the game. Because I think when the difficulty is harder, it makes it forces you to sort of explore your options in combat. And it really makes the combat shine. And the combat, I think, is really good. But the thing about The Witcher that is absolutely amazing is the world they've built. The setting. That's obviously the, the series, for those who don't know, is based on a... A series of really acclaimed over there Polish fantasy novels that started in like the 80s and those have like started being translated coming over here I'm actually have ordered one of the first like short story collection from Amazon because that's how much I like the stuff in the game is I like I need to fucking read the books now because this game is so good find out where the fuck all this awesome like mythology and folklore comes from and then the game itself is made by a Polish developer called CD Projekt Red and that's one of the coolest things about the game is that you can feel that it is not an American game. It's not a Japanese game. It's not a game made from the UK, which those are like the three main places that produce the vast majority of our games is North America, the UK, or Japan. And it's like, this is a fucking Eastern European ass, Eastern European game. And you can feel that all the way through. Like that culture, that folklore is seeped into like every moment of that game. And that game is so fucking depressing. It is so dark. That world is so fucked. Like, there is, in the first area, like, there's a bunch of these side quests where the whole setting is, like, there's kind of this big war that's going on between this northern empire and the southern empire that's invading the north. And you're kind of on the borders of it at the first area you're in in the game. And there's, like, one side quest. Like, I think the first thing that I, a part of the game I encountered that, like, made me realize just how incredible the game was... If there's this one small side quest that you could totally skip where this one brother, or this one guy who's this brother of a soldier who's in a big battle that just happened, hires you because you're a witcher, you're kind of a guy who goes around and kills monsters and like does other things for hire. And so he hires you to guard him as he picks through this like field like littered with corpses because this battle literally just happened to try to find his brother's shield like like a body and the shield that he had to identify the body. And you need to be there because... If there are fresh corpses out, that means there are these, like, ghoul monsters that come out and feed on the corpses. So, there's literally this whole mission where you're just, like, escorting this guy through this, like, huge field, like, covered in, like, the field, like, the dirt is soaked in blood and all muddied. And there are these corpses piled up in shields and broken swords and spears everywhere. And there's, like, really somber music playing. And it's just this, the atmosphere that the game is able to accomplish just in every single moment is incredible. And it's also this big open world game that has no junk side content, you know? Like, there's no big... Like, with, like, Dragon Age Inquisition, there's no, 
Go pick up 500 of these bottles scattered throughout the world and 50 million tablet pieces and like all these go up to this thing and reveal the shard locations on the map. Get the shards and climb this tower to reveal everything on the map. There's none of that bullshit. It's all like there's a huge amount of content and all of it feels handcrafted. Like there's stories, little small stories to be told in every corner of the world. I don't understand how how this developer made this game and has kind of put every other open world developer to task for all the shortcuts those people make to try to pad out their game and say no we can have a big ass fucking game because i've been playing this game for like a month and a half and i'm not even close to done because i'm trying to do everything and we can make this huge world this incredibly detailed world and we don't have to fill it with junk we can fill it with like really heartful soulful storytelling you know it's incredible it's funny, I, I had read a bunch of the reviews and, and was and was thinking of playing this game, but you just sold it to me so much better than it's anyone so else. Good. Because I, I don't know if you know if you've listened to our episode from last year or at the beginning of this year where we talked about our favorite games of last year, and I yeah. went on a rant about these kind of open world problems you're talking about. Yes. And it's what killed Dragon Age for me. It's mm-hmm. ultimately what killed Far Cry four for me, just all this stuff. I really like the sound of everything you're explaining yeah. here. It's funny because it's I I enjoyed a lot of Dragon Age Inquisition, but like on that podcast, like I admit, like it has severe fucking problems, and I never ended up finishing it. And like Witcher Three is a similar game in terms of like you know what it is of like this big fantasy open world RPG, but in so many ways is like the anti Dragon Age Inquisition. It's like no junk content, no like kind of weird hub stuff that kind of cuts away from all the main story stuff. It's like read like it's everything you wanted dragon age inquisition to be and also in this like dark european fantasy setting and when i say dark i'm fucking dark nice. like there is one i'm not going to spoil anything about it but i'll just say the bloody baron storyline when people start encountering that that's a fucking made like like it's a really long quest line that could be its own game and it is one of the best things i think i've ever seen in any game ever like in terms of storytelling it is absolutely amazing. Like, I thought when I played Bloodborne earlier this year that I was like, this sucks because this Bloodborne is so good. There's no way anything else this year is going to top this game. <laughs> it's like, play The Witcher 3, it's like, I'm 15 hours into this game and it's already, even if I don't fucking am able to have the time in my life to finish The Witcher 3, it's already beaten Bloodborne for me. Wow, okay. Well, I am definitely going to play this game yeah, now. I massively recommend it. But yeah, I hadn't had the time yet and now I'm about to play Arkham Knight. So right, I want to do that first. Out. I'm but... probably actually going to end up taking a small break for The Witcher 3. This is one of the things about it is that it's so emotionally intense that it's like I have to put it down every once in a while and just leave it for a couple of days because I can't deal with going back to the nice. game. So well, I'll I'm... take a break in Arkham for a while. I'm glad to know this game is out there because after Arkham Knight we're going to go into a little bit of a drought yes. until the end of the summer. So yes, Witcher 3 will be perfect for that. Fall. Here's what I've been playing okay. because I realized I needed a game... <laughs> While I was assistant teaching that I could come home at night with my brain kind of half dead. Yes. And still play without putting any real effort in. Mm-hmm. I got back into Destiny. Congratulations. I played the DLC. So I, I have played to. Okay, a, lot, well, a little bit of it. Like six ta- hours or so. Okay. Let's talk about that then. Because I've played like another 80 hours. Um, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I really got back into Destiny. Well, I rebought it for the Xbox One. So mm-hmm. my brother and I oh, could so play it Oh, so you had to make too. a new character? Yeah. Okay. Which was fine. I would have done yeah, it like, anyway. Yeah. I kind of want to make a new character now. Yeah. Uh, no, I've gotten one character, I made a new character up to level 34, then made another new alt, got him up to level 24. Anyway. What, are, what are the classes? Just... I got a warlock and, a, and another hunter. So, so which, which one is the 34? Warlock. Okay. Yeah, and I will say, having played warlock and, and hunter both, you know, extensively now, hunter is cooler in how, you know, the hunter moves and has the knife. Fucking warlock nice. is way more useful in terms of the super and sure, grenades yeah, and that yeah. kind of stuff. 
So the super has always been kind of the or like the golden gun at least for the hunter has always been yeah the kind of the yeah the falling out for him. But I still think he has the best grenade with the uh, like spike grenade basically. That one's good. That one's so good. Anyway, but uh, start playing Destiny again just because I kind of wanted to get back into it and I had never played the DLC one before. Mm-hmm. So I played that and I thought it has some good stuff. It also good God they put no effort into those story missions. That was sure. Let's crap this out. The first two, there's three in that first DLC, and the first two take like five minutes apiece. Yeah, but like, is, if I remember correctly, I think that I really like the third one. Is the third one in that where you have like all the guys that like make the mm-hmm. like areas on the ground and stuff? I thought that one was interesting. That's a great one, and the expanded and the strike in that one is fantastic. Yes, yeah. um, it's probably mm, still my favorite strike because I just love they just send wave after wave after wave, and it's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but no, definitely what we should talk about is House of Wolves because mm-hmm. I think. I don't think House of Wolves has fixed all of Destiny's problems. No. I don't think it's made it a perfect game. No. However, I do think it's brought Destiny to a point that it needed to be at. Yes. In that it is much more content-rich than it ever was. The story missions in House of Wolves are easily the best story missions mm-hmm. in the game. I agree. The strike is great. The way it integrates stuff is so well done. And I think the voice acting and the writing finally embraced. We are not an epic space opera. We are a really silly MMO kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Let's just have fun with it. And as a result, I think once you graph that House of Wolves stuff on it, Destiny has just come alive to me in a way it didn't before. Yeah, I agree. That's one thing. It's one of the interesting things about the story missions in House of Wolves that it's like, it's not super story heavy. Like, it's never going to be, and it shouldn't be, I think. Like, I think the idea that Destiny should be like Halo in terms of, like, how it tries to tell a story is silly because... It's just built so differently. Yeah, because a lot of Destiny is designed around having content that can be repeated because that's the kind of game it needs to be. It's like this big multiplayer co-op semi-MMO experience. So it has Mm -hmm. to have repeatable content, and story content is inherently non-repeatable in terms of, like... I mean, obviously, like, you know, you can experience the story again and get something else from it, but most video game stories are not complex enough for that to be super enriching. It's not like The Big Lebowski, where, like, every time you watch it, you notice a million different things. It's like, you played, like, you know, the Halo 1 campaign once, you basically have the gist of everything you need to get out from that story. But what Destiny and the House of Wolves expansion does manage to do this time around is, with the writing and the performances, not inject a huge amount of story content, but inject some character and personality into that world that is engaging at least a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. especially I really love the guy that's like the fallen dude who's with the uh, what are the the Reef people, mm-hmm. the Woken. Like, yeah. that guy who comes in your ear and, like, delivers a couple of lines and kind of gives you some context, like, translates the the guy, the lines of the guy you're trying to hunt. is like, he says he is the Kel of Kells and stuff like that. I thought that stuff's, like, it's not the most amazing written stuff in the world, but it's just a little something to give us some personality. The way that, like, Cortana was able to in Halo when you're just walking around and she just talks in your ear for, like... A couple of minutes about stuff while you're going from point A to point B and kind of filling that dead air a little bit and just injecting some life into the game. That's really what the story content for Destiny needed at the beginning where the the Peter Dinklage character, the ghost, never really managed to do that. It's also really startling when you've spent a lot of time playing DLC content and then you go do a normal story mission from the base game or like a public event where all of a sudden Peter Dinklage starts talking like, Oh, right! He was in this game! Getting a big actor to play this character for a game that you need for a bunch of DLC was a really stupid decision, because you can now not really just bring him back whenever you want. Right, no. 
I agree with everything you just said, and I would say on top of that, the story missions are just so creatively designed. Yeah. And I don't have big problems with the design of the original content. I, I think the shooting and everything is fun enough that the basic level design of send ghost out, fight the waves, yeah. that's always fun. But they managed to make it so much more in this, where there's ones where it becomes a corridor shooter briefly. Yeah. And then you'll open up again and have these really complex combat environments. Or my favorite thing about these missions isn't even the new places it sends you to, but the way it recontextualizes existing places in the world yeah. that I've just run through before or just kind of seen but never really gone to. Yeah, or like like, like kind of the one you when you said like the corridor shooter shooter opening out, like that just I think I know the mission you're talking about where you go back to the beginning of yes. the game where you first spawn in. I thought that was really cool that they brought you back through that area. That's probably my favorite mission in the game yeah. now. I think it's fantastic, and you go back there, and the all the like car graveyard actually winds up being this fantastic arena. Yeah, where you never fought before because there's no enemies over there. Right, and I think if anything, House of Wolves proves what Destiny did do well always is the building of its environments was immaculate, and yes. they are so smartly done. And I had never fully appreciated that until House of Wolves brought you back to some of these places uh, and really had you fight there again. And then they do that on Venus too. Um, I hope we get a DLC someday that brings you back to Mars and does stuff there. Yeah, because I felt also like Mars was kind of like un- underutilized in Destiny. Like it's, it feels like it's a footnote at the end of the game. It is, and if you look at it now with all your DLC on it, and you go to Mars, it has about a third of the content of yeah. any other planet. So, especially if you're playing the Xbox One version where you only have the one strike there. Right. So, yeah. Although I think has that come out yet for? They said at E three it's going to now. Okay. Yeah. Um, Microsoft said something. That's to that right. Yeah, because it did. If I remember, it did have a really long. Exclusive it's a year, contract. so yeah. I'm guessing it'll come with this Taken King stuff that we'll talk Probably, about later. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that would be yeah, because it came out in September, so that would be right. the right timing. So it would be nice to see those again. I don't really mind because I had played those on PS4, and it's just those. And like, yeah, they're not like that amazing. They're not my favorite strikes. Yeah, they're probably no. my least favorite. Yeah, they they're, are. They are exactly my least favorite yeah. strikes. They're they're fine, but they're not the best. So anyway, I've just had a lot of fun with Destiny. Definitely, I think the game has also opened up now that I have some more people to play it with. Yeah, like my brother, and we can just easily do that. And that's been a fun thing where you know when he was at school or at home, and I was still up in Boulder. Just that was a fun way to just kind of hang out. Yeah, and play Destiny and. Because Destiny only takes like twenty percent brain power at most. Yeah, especially it's, like yeah, because you know when you've already played through all the content and you're repeating yeah. the content, like it is exactly how like you know it's like just playing Halo multiplayer with your friends, or even like when I was back when I was playing World of Warcraft and just like you know just being on chat with your friends and just kind of playing through this game. You're not devoting all your attention to the game, but the game is engaging enough through its base like mechanics that it's still like an enjoyable experience when you're not devoting all your attention to it absolutely and i think i've re-burned out on destiny but not in a way that makes me mad or anything it's like i'll probably play it again someday i'm looking forward to more dlc because i think with this one they've proven they can do it well and i actually look forward to future expansions yeah and the new the taken king expansion is going to be a whole it's going to be much bigger like these were both small things like everything they've shown in the marketing for the taken king is like no this is going to be like a big new area it's going to be a like a big dose of like content for the game yeah and i'm very excited for that so that should be good all right let's see uh in terms of dlc the other thing i wanted to mention is super smash brothers for wii u and 3ds right yeah got new dlc out of the blue the other day don't know why they didn't save this for e3 because then they would have had one cool thing it would have been the coolest thing in their entire e3 press conference but no just randomly on it was saturday or sunday or something they did this nintendo direct and announced it i had no idea i i i had been working i think and came home and saw it i'm like oh okay and it was so they added three new fighters to the game. Lucas, who we knew was coming. 
Um, <laughs> That's Ry- why I think of Lucas. Yeah. Ryu from Street Fighter. Why would you put him in the middle? That's the cool one. Sorry. And Roy from... Uh... It's Lucas, Roy, and it's fucking Ryu from Street Fighter. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Who, and in it, you can do like the Street Fighter moves, and it does stuff in the game. So it's like not just... Like, back, forward, B, back, B, down, B, up, B, and base, B. It's also like, dude, you fucking do Hadouken move, like, moves on the controller, and it does shit. Like, that's fucking awesome. It's pretty cool. And and the, they came with three new maps, one of which was tied to Ryu. He had his own map. Uh, then there was a the Kirby Dreamland stage from the N64, which has always been one of my favorites. So nice to see right. that again. Yeah. And then a free stage, which is a Miiverse stage, which people immediately abused. And there's a bunch of dirty stuff you'll see when you play right. it. Right, okay. Which is great, because somehow, somehow Nintendo did not police that. Nintendo really does not understand the internet. It's no. like, they've been so reserved in trying to like make it completely impossible to use any of their products offensively. That then, like, the one time they tried to step out of that a little bit, apparently they completely fucked it up. Dicks everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Like, that makes me way more excited for Super Smash Brothers. If anyway. I can beat the shit out of Lucas using Ryu from Street Fighter in front of a bunch of, like, hand-drawn dicks, that's, like, the dream I had last night, you yeah. know? So all this DLC is great. I'll talk about it in a second. Let me talk about the downside, which is the price. The pricing is a little wonky on this, hmm. so... Each of the characters is separate, and you can buy them just for your own platform, or you can get them for both at once, Wii U and 3DS. So I did those, and all told, the three characters with the three stages, one of which is free, one of which is tied to a character, that came out to $20 for me to get all of that. And I got it for both platforms. Yeah, so that's like, so it costs extra to get it on both. Yeah, uh, $1 extra. Okay, okay, that's not that bad. Yeah. Still, it it should just be. It should be both. Yeah. Um, especially if you can prove you have them or something. I yeah. mean, yeah, you know, so like Mewtwo was free when he came out. Um, if you had both, these guys were not. So it was 20 bucks, add that on. I am enough of a completionist and I love those games enough that I didn't really mind, but I did notice it's like, this is kind of a lot. Yeah, and, and especially considering that two thirds of the characters are returning characters from yes. previous games, you know, and yeah. one of them is one that nobody liked because he's a clone right. of a character that already existed. And, and I will say. Did they, have, did they have a replacement for, like, the Roy Marth in. Like, like someone who had basically the same move set already in the new one? No, not really. I mean, okay. well, kind of. Lucina is very similar to Marth. Okay. However, Roy has been rethought. I mean, he's a different... Okay, so he's he very has different, different move set stuff. Okay. I like Roy. Roy is my favorite to play of these new three. He's really good. He's a mixture, what I would say, between Marth and Ike, where Marth is really fast and all sword-based. Ike is very heavy and he's slow. And Roy is somewhere in between where he's fast like Marth, but maybe with the power of an Ike. Hmm. Um, and he's cool. So he's got some of that Marth stuff, but he's also got this new B move that is crazy, where he has this fire sword and just one-hit kill kind of thing if you mm-hmm. do it right. Um, so that's neat. Ryu is fun. He's the toughest character to get. Yeah, um, because they've <laughs> turned it into a real fucking fighting game. Yeah, so you know you got to do your half-circle, quarter-circle stuff. And I've tried it, and it's, it's kind of interesting. His stage is really good, and I like that one. So that's really fun. And then Lucas, as with a lot of these characters, he's not just a clone anymore. They have okay. tried to rethink him. I've never been into Ness or Lucas, and I don't really get how to use those characters, so not necessarily my thing. But, you know, I like Ness and Lucas are together again, I guess. Because now I can team them up on an opposite team and team exactly. them up. That's yeah. basically it. Right. Um, yeah. And then the only other complaint I would give is, as they've done with some of the other characters like the Unlockables, they just crammed these guys at the end of the character roster. And I oh. wish they had rearranged it, because yeah. it even throws stuff off earlier on. So, like, on the Wii U version, now Link is on a different line than Zelda and everyone. That's right. bizarre to me. 
Uh, so just things like that have been thrown out, and I would like to have Ness and Lucas next to each other, and Roy with the Fire Emblem characters, and because Lucina isn't with the Fire Emblem characters right now, you have three Fire Emblem characters, then Lucina over here, then Roy over here, and it's all just kind of looks like a clusterfuck. Yeah, this, it's weird because I feel like most fighting games, and obviously Super Smash Bros. is a little different from a normal fighting game, but most fighting games have like extra space in the like at the edges of the character select screen where that's where the new characters fill in, so it like maintains the order of the original character select screen and like puts the new characters on the edges, so like it's clear which characters are DLC characters and it maintains. Yeah, like you said, like usually there's actually like a especially in the like Super Smash Brothers there's kind of an expected order for the characters that makes it easy to like see where everyone is. And yeah. that's how it was in Smash Bros. 1, 2, 3. They've just changed it now and I don't know if they'll fix that at some point. Yeah, but. that's weird. And with this announcement they also announced they're going to bring two more N64 maps uh, to the Wii U and 3DS which are two of my favorites. The original Link's Castle and the Mushroom Kingdom stage. The, the Peach's Castle one. Those are great N64 stages have never been on any of the other games, so I'm excited for those. And it is nice to see Nintendo supporting Smash Bros. in this way, because it is fun to have those new fighters to play with. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think bringing in Ryu is just a cool idea. Because yeah, it's, it's a good fit. Like, he's, you know, like a big mascot character. Like, he's like, you know, if you're going to put in Sonic and Mega Man and stuff, putting in Ryu is a good idea. But I think the coolest thing is that, like, they kept some of the ideas of the mechanics from the game, like the Street Fighter series that Ryu comes from, and translated that in some way to Super Smash Brothers. Seems like it's like that's a really cool idea. Now they just need to put like a Mortal Kombat dude, like Scorpion, in there and just have him like rip Princess Peach's head off or something. You know, absolutely. That's that the, would... that's obviously the next step, right? Yeah. All right. So I think that's enough of the basic stuff. Let's go ahead and jump into E3. We did our pre E3 stuff. Right. Let's get into the main things here. So E3 started Sunday night with the Bethesda yes. press conference. I guess we'll just. I guess before we get into the individual conferences, okay. let's just start with the overall thoughts. What have you thought of E3 so far, Sean? I thought it's been... It's a great E3. Like, last year's E3 I thought was a little bit lackluster. Like, there wasn't a lot of really exciting announcements and stuff. I think this E3... You know, the like the, the smaller developers... Or, I guess not smaller developers or whatever. But, like, the, the publisher conferences E3... Or EA and Ubisoft have always been not the best and again this year they're not the best like there's some interesting stuff in both of them but neither of them blow you away they never do because they never have enough stuff for it but like Bethesda's conference which we will talk about was a huge surprise Nintendo was a Nintendo was Nintendo like I've, I've given up on being super fascinated oh with boy does. but this was lower this was this was yes. the lowest like like Nintendo had a decent showing last year nothing that I was particularly interested in but they had something new the Splatoon you know which now that came out has like great reviews Nintendo really lackluster showing, but the big, the, the, the you know the big dogs in the fight, the one that I'm the ones that I'm really watching it for, that I'm really interested in, are Microsoft and Sony. I think both of them have had the the strongest press conferences. Like Sony has had the strongest press conferences had since the PS4 launch one, maybe even like actually better because there's like a little bit more stuff to it. I think this time around, and Microsoft huh. has done a lot. I think in terms of like you know Microsoft already has was heavily pivoting. With, with their direction and stuff, and this year they really got to like show where they're heading, and they had a lot of stuff coming out soon. They had a lot of interesting news announcements that were surprising, and it feels like Microsoft and the Xbox are heading in a direction that I think like they're, they're making a lot of smart moves. That it's like, yes, you have fixed all the things that you have fucked up finally. Like, they're going to start putting out, like, a, like, they're revamping the UI and stuff now, too. It's like, the Xbox One is heading into a place where it's like you're you're unfucking it, you know, and that's fantastic. Yeah, I did not find the Sony one as impressive as you did. I thought they. I'm not saying it was bad or anything. Yes. I just i I think they have less ground to cover, frankly, and it was a little bit 
some of it was a little bit stale to me, but they also had some big interesting. I mean, they stuff. had. I think I mean, Sony had like the biggest stuff by far to me, like the, the big three that we'll talk about, the big three announcements that they did. They did those. We'll that one of those was super skeevy to me, though, and one of them makes me annoyed. At the I internet, think so. We'll get probably to that. the one that you think is skeevy is the one that I think is like amazing and like super heartwarming. But Shenmue, we'll yes. Okay, well, we'll get to the that. Shenmue thing is uh, insane. It is, but anyway. Um, what was I going to say? So, but I also thought, like I said, Sony is, you know, they're very dominant. They don't yeah. need to do something mind-blowing. And I didn't think they did anything super mind-blowing to me, but it was a good show. And they, I thought they had the best individual game demo of anyone. Yes, so by far. far. Especially of, like, a new IP. Like, the Horizon thing was great. I was talking about Uncharted oh. 4, but oh, that's okay. Yes, that's also was great. Um, just, anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Um, Microsoft, though, Microsoft interested me because they were super on message. And it was yes. a message that they actually backed up and proved... And that was interesting to me because I think a lot of these conferences from everyone, they try to promote some kind of message, and usually it's just fluff. This time Microsoft... It's like, you know, Nintendo's all about transformation. Yeah, that was bullshit. And they're all about Muppets. Yes. Apparently. All about Muppets and transformation. Microsoft had an actual, you know, message about this is going to be a great year for Xbox gaming, and boy did they back it up, and I thought that was really cool. You know, I didn't think Sony had much of an overarching message. Again, I didn't think they needed one. Yeah, because they're they're, they're the leaders in the market, and it showed on the... That's that's like the conference that the leader in the market gives, you know? Right, and it was was good. Uh, But overall, my overall thoughts, though, is similar to what I felt last year, but exponentially more strong right now, is that it's just a good time to be a gamer. Wherever you're gaming, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. And it makes me, you know, sad that I won't have time to play everything I'm seeing, but I'm already making, you know, my calendar and everything so I know when I can play this and this and this and this. Yeah. And just a lot of great stuff. There's so much to be excited for, and there's so little to be cynical about. And boy, does that feel good, especially coming off a couple of years for gaming that I think were really rough in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, the launch of the consoles is always going to be a year where there's not anything like, like for the new consoles, amazing. But yeah, 2014 was a real down year, kind of like surprisingly so, like nothing really huge. And also just for the community, it was a sad year for... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there's that stuff too, but it's like just with the, the games that came out in 2014, nothing super amazing. You know, like my game of the year that year was Far Cry 4, which is like... You know, Far Cry 4 is an amazing game, but it's also kind of disappointing that the game of the year for me was the the very similar sequel to a game that came out two years ago. And for 2015, like, there's a lot of fucking shit coming out. There is. It looks good. And even, you know, when I wasn't surprised at something, like, there was nothing to be surprised about necessarily that Bethesda was going to talk about Fallout 4, but damn it if that wasn't a good demo. Yeah. That kind of thing, you know? Or, I, I've known Halo 5 is coming out forever, I'm guaranteed to play Halo 5, but that was a good showing for Halo yes. 5. That yeah. kind of thing. So let's just jump right into it. Bethesda was the first one, yes. Sunday night. It was kind of funny. Uh, my brother, who is super into Elder Scrolls and all that, big Bethesda fan... <laughs> Um, was excited to watch that, and we were going to watch the Game of Thrones finale, and as soon as the Game of Thrones finale ended, that's when the Bethesda conference started. Right. So we had to go from that, and it was a real whiplash of emotions, because that Game of Thrones finale was pretty death-heavy. <laughs> and, well, I mean, like, the beginning of Beth- Bethesda's press conference was also pretty death-heavy. But in a very different way. Sure, yeah. It... So they kicked things off with Doom and 30 straight minutes of gore. Yes. So, yeah, like, the, we knew that Doom 4... Just being called Doom for the title, but I'm just going to call it Doom Four because it's fucking Doom Four. We we knew that it's going to come out like that fucking Wolfenstein, the New Order game that I got. This is a really good game, but when I got it, I like did like a pre-order of like one day because it was the reviews had come out, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get it since the reviews are good. Pre-ordered it like the night before it came out to get access to the Doom beta. I was kind of shocked. It's like. 
wait, what about that beta? Like, you pushed the game back, and so now it's been forever, and, like, there's supposed to be, I have this fucking thing that says Doom multiplayer beta on it. And it never happened? I mean, it's, it's presumably it's going to happen at some point. Like, they had just delayed the game, so the, obviously the beta was pushed back. And this is the first time they've really shown it. I was just like, after they were done with Doom, I was like, Yeah, that Doom game looks pretty good. Wait, you're done talking about what about the beta thing? Oh, okay. So hopefully, I mean, it would be really fucked up if they never did yeah. that. But, yeah, like, I thought, it, I was not completely blown away by the Doom uh, dem- like the sort of like, demonstration they gave I thought it was cool that they gave as long of a demonstration as they did like they showed a variety of stuff in the game you know oh they- I thought it went on too long I I, I, th- I, th- I at least I was I was glad that like they showed two different areas instead of doing like a super long demonstration of one area of the game and it's something where it's like you know it's a publisher conference not one of the the big like one of the big three conferences I guess it's, there's really only two big conferences now but since it's a publisher conference, I think it is better for Bethesda to do what Bethesda did here than to do what EA or Ubisoft did, which was to spend a small amount of time on a lot of games, most of which are not games that the large, like the majority of the community are actually interested in. And instead, really, I mean, the Bethesda conference really had two games and like a couple of like kind of teasers and other things they talked about, but they really had Doom and Fallout 4 and they showed a lot of both of those games. It was like, yeah, the Doom one probably went on a little bit too long, mostly because... It's not like it's just not that interesting, and I was mostly disappointed by the fact that the music really was not there because that's I really love Doom One. I've, I've never really gotten all the way through Doom Two, but when I played Doom One on the Xbox Live Arcade release, I think that game somehow holds up really well because there's no other shooter like it because shooters aren't made like that anymore, and all the games that like followed Doom in its era, none of them were better than Doom. So it's like Doom is somehow. Like, still this really good game that really holds up because there's nothing else that does what it does as well as Doom does it. And one of the things that Doom had that was fucking rad was the music, which was, you know, these heavy metal-inspired MIDI tunes. And it was like, you watch the Doom conference thing here, and it's like, eh, it's super generic video game action soundtrack. Like, I want some just ripping fucking guitar should be going on as you pull out the super shotgun and blow everything away. Which I also don't understand why this guy kept on taking out weapons that were not the double-barreled shotgun. It's like, why would you... That's the fucking weapon. Like, the shotgun in Doom is always the weapon you use in Doom. And then occasionally you pull out the rocket launcher. Yeah, I just... And it looked fine. It looked... It didn't look particularly distinctive. It was a lot of gore, a lot of explosions. And it just... It kind of went on and on. And the further it went on, the less interesting it looked to me. Because I, I didn't feel like I was seeing a lot of variety to it. Sure. But we'll see. I it takes an awful lot for a shooter to interest me now, and yeah. this did not look bad in any way. And, and I, I, I appreciated that they're maintaining a lot of the like the faster paced gameplay. They have like the health and armor is there, and, and like the weapon wheel thing. So you have like all the weapons. So it's like they're maintaining a lot of things that like old shooters, like Doom era shooters, did that modern like Call of Duty version shooters just don't do. And it's nice to see, although like actually like the Call of Duty style shooters are moving towards a more fast paced gameplay style. But it was nice to see like Doom come out and it's not like, you know, aim down sights, hide behind cover, oh you got hit, like all of your screen is covered in like red goop. It was like there's a lot of like I'm just sprinting super fast, like dodging the like fireballs and stuff being shot by these demons. And then hitting them with, like, shooting them with my shotgun. You know, they had all the, like, the execution kills or whatever that were going on. That, like, those animations were pretty brutal, but also not, like, I don't know. That feels like a weird, 
thing to like to like really feature heavily in your like conference is like oh look at me i like grabbed this dude's leg and ripped it off and hit him in the face with it in this like really kind of janky three second animation that you can't see very well from first person it's like eh, whatever but well yeah no it, it looks interesting and i i look forward to seeing more from this yeah it's so. a lot better than honestly i really expected. i mean I, I i guess it's kind of what i expected to be based on what i had heard about it but like if you go back to like before the game had kind of been revealed to the press and they had talked about it like, I did not expect Doom to be like this. Like, if they were going to make another one, I didn't expect it to look like... At least it looks interesting enough to me that, like, I'm open-minded about it. Like, if you had asked me what Doom 4 would have been, like, pre... Like, all, like, the Wolfenstein, the New Order and stuff, I would have been like, oh, that's going to be, like, a sh- complete shit game that no one's going to, like, like, and it's going to be terrible. And well, this, like, let me put it this way. It looks like a game worthy of having the name Doom on it. Yes, definitely. And that's probably the best thing you can say about yeah. it. Yeah. And then there's also some, like, really confusing thing that they talked about where they said, Snap Map! And it's like, there's a, some level editor thing and, like, co-op or something. I don't know what any of that was. It was a little gibberishy. Yeah, it was like, it seemed like they were getting a little bit too technical for the scope of the presentation. It was like, yeah. you need to back up and explain what the fuck you're talking about. It's like, it kind of just looks like a level editor with, like, prefab pieces that you, like put together but it's like I don't know like what you're like listing off like modes and stuff that just sound like you're saying deathmatch but you're trying to make it sound like it's not quite deathmatch I don't understand what you're saying it was weird but yeah alright what else did they have um then like we'll just go over the two or smaller things uh, Dishonored 2 they had a basically a teaser trailer I never played Dishonored 1 I heard it's I know like people like it it's supposed to be really good my brother loves that game and he was very excited yes. by this I have to say like the teaser trailer made me very interested because it basically looked actually like a teaser trailer for like a the darkness 3 game because she had like all these weird dark tentacle things coming out and like grabbing that dude and looked like she's gonna rip him apart so i just kept on waiting for like some crazy fucking voice to just like kill him jackie like in those old darkness games that didn't happen so if okay. it's like the darkness the darkness was awesome so then i'll play dishonored 2 and then they showed a really quick video for the elder scrolls online oh we're also getting a dishonored definitive edition remaster oh yes yeah well, always have to have a remaster yeah sure yeah the elder scrolls online i that's kind of whatever like mm. i didn't understand if there was some, if they were talking about something new it's a new it's an expansion okay. pack yeah and my then, my brother loves elder scrolls online plays it all the time so that's your brother's a sad person he can stop that <laughs> It's like if, like he should just play Destiny, and that should just completely fill the hole in his heart. It's like that Elder Scrolls Online would like leave behind. Well, he got it for the console, and what I did when he got it for the console is I put on my Xbox One and created a character, and then said, "All right, I had my fun with this. I'm done." Yeah, it just you know, <laughs> I've I've never played it like a second of Elder Scrolls Online. It just does not seem interesting to me. But then then also there's like a quick video clip of this like Battle Cry game that is. I think, like, basically their third-person shooter MOBA thing that everyone seems to be getting into. I don't really know what it is. It, didn't, it was a really bad trailer, I thought, so I didn't pay attention to it. But let's talk about what everyone wants to talk about, which is what they ended, like, spent what felt like the entire press conference coming talking about when you got out of it, which is Fallout 4. And They had reason to brag. Yes, and it was something where it's like, I thought it was an interesting move that before the press conference, like like, uh, like a couple of days before the press conference, they... Just officially announced, like put out a trailer. It's like, yes, we're making Fallout Four. It's going to be set in Boston. So those like leaked rumors from like what feels like four years ago or something from Kotaku. Apparently that was all right. It's like it had been so long since those leaks that I was like, they must be wrong. Like there's no way that like that came out that early and it's still accurate. It's like no, this is like everything from those leaks about the setting and stuff. They're totally right. It's set in, in the Boston setting. 
Uh, you're from Fault 111, which then tied into the release date, which is, what, November 10th? 2015. Yes. Yeah. So it's one, there's one, a one I mean, in all of I mean, Yeah, there's like, you could have really manufactured that for anything. At first yeah. I was like, what is it going to be like, like, fucking January 1st? That would be a crazy time to put out a game. Oh no, okay, it's November. Well, they had such success with the 11-11-11 thing for Skyrim, yeah. I guess they're... It's like they're kind of desperate at some yeah. point, but yeah, so... Oh, and here's the thing. That release date, when they actually just released the trailer, and it's like, we're making this, did you have any expectation it would come out this year? No, I thought it for sure it was going to be a next year or maybe even later thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. I've forgotten it's like, that is not expected. Yeah, November 10th this year, Fallout 4 coming out. And I mean, they just, that's a mic drop kind of thing. Like, yeah. they will dominate this holiday with yeah. that. And I'm so glad that, like, that's how they decided to do it instead of, I feel what Bethesda usually does with these games. It's kind of like what Nintendo does with the Zelda games, which they did again with this Zelda game, which is announce it, like, three years before it comes out. And, like, like so far ahead of time that, like, by the time their projected release date comes along, the game has been delayed for another year because it's a really big fucking game, and those games always get delayed for good reason. It's just like... I'm so glad that they just waited to be like, let's wait until we know we're going to be done with the game, and then we'll like let everyone know when we're going to, when it's going to come out. And it seems like they're very confident. I don't expect this to yes, get pushed. It would be crazy if it, it got pushed, you know, when it's this close yeah. to the release date that they said. You know, like yeah, that's mm, I'd be immensely surprised if it got delayed in any way. So, like, I guess let's just kind of talk. Another thing that I thought it was kind of an interesting. Weird, like, segue, like, or, like, section in the middle of the Fallout 4 stuff was them also talking about the Fallout Shelter. Which is the iOS game. Yeah, like, iOS mobile game, which, like, seems okay. I don't really play mobile games, so I downloaded it and looked at it for, like, five minutes. It's like, eh, this isn't my thing. Like, I'm not in a life situation that this game is useful for me. Like, I'd rather just spend my time playing The Witcher 3. I don't have, like, a train commute or something. But... It seemed like it was a good mobile game. Like, there was no, like, super, like, offensive microtransactions. No, like, stupid stamina system that, like, makes you wait forever to keep on playing the game. And I know and, for like, people... to accelerate it. And I know for people who like that kind of thing, they're saying it's really good. So yeah, yeah. So I thought fine. that was... It was interesting, to, like, to put that out there. Also, in conjunction with, like, their weird uh, Pip-Boy app for, like, your menu system. And the collector's edition of the game coming with some, like, janky-ass plastic Pip-Boy thing you put on your wrist that looks like it's, like, fucking huge and bulky that you slide your phone into. It's like... That's something from 1995, and I yeah, love it. Yeah, it's really silly. Like, I'm glad that they're doing that. It's like... What did, like, you look like the biggest fucking dope on the planet sitting on your couch, like, with your controller in your hand playing Fallout 4. You're like, oh, man, I really need to go check the map. Hold on a second... Pull out my wrist, look at it, load up the app, scroll over to the map. That's where I am. Like, put my wrist down, pick up the controller, and start playing the game again. It's like, all right. So there was a lot in this Fallout yeah. Four stuff. We can't go over all of it, obviously. No. But let's just let's just go with general reactions. What things that they showed are you excited for in Fallout Four? Um, I thought. I mean, just like the. I was a huge fan of Fallout Three, so just the whole thing. Like, I thought, like, you know, like, like the game just itself looks really good. I think graphically. Like, that teaser trailer that they put out before, the, probably because of compression on YouTube, looked kind of weird to me. That Like, having better, higher-quality video and, like, more, like, in-depth video with, like, out a lot of cutting. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, this game looks really good. The animations look good. Like, all right. I thought... It, I was really surprised that they moved away from the, like, non-voiced protagonist thing that they have always been doing with these games, you know? that Because, for like, Bethesda makes both, like, the Elder Scrolls Skyrim game type stuff and they took up Fallout with Fallout 3 and all those games have 
you know, that sort of like older school style, like it's first person. And when you get in a conversation, it's just like a line of dialogue that you select. And then just the person you're talking to responds to it. This had a much more mass effect style. Like you have a little dialogue wheel at the bottom, the camera pulls out. Although they said you could also be in first person for the conversations and like, you're actually, your character is talking to them. Your character's voice. You can, there's both male and female protagonists, which is kind of expected, but they kind of, it's like, yeah, like it's there. Like, just because we're voicing the characters doesn't mean that we didn't hire someone to voice a female protagonist as well. And, like, that, I think, is a good direction because their story stuff has always been really bland to me. Partially because I feel like the industry moved, like, away from the, like, nothing protagonist a really long time ago. And so it's nice to have that updated. That's, like, the most specific thing that I'm actually excited about in terms of indicating the direction of the game. The rest of the stuff they showed was mostly, like, kind of peripheral stuff with, like this crafting system that seems really detailed with like all these different stuff you can slap on your gun which that looks fine but it's well, I should say it looks detailed but accessible I don't yes. often like this crafting stuff and I saw it in this video I'm like that looks like something I could actually get behind yes. I just usually think when I get to crafting in games it's more trouble than it's ever worth yeah. it's not like I can't figure it out but I just don't feel like it's worth the effort this looks like something that could be fun on it's own and then you bring into the combat yeah. and it is also like really extensive it's a lot more than just like slapping scope on it's like you know you can and get different barrels, different stocks. Like it seems like you can really change up the look and like effectiveness of the weapon in some way. So that looked good. And then there was also the base building thing, which I was surprised at, and I don't really know how I feel about it because I don't fully understand how it integrates into the rest of the game. But it seemed cool, like just on the outside. But like it's something that I'm also like, but this might be something that I would just never use. And if it's like really cumbersome and takes a lot of time to engage with and they force you to engage with it at some point in the game, that might be a little bit troublesome. Yeah. But overall, I mean, I did not play Fallout 3. Um, I'm excited for this, and I, and that's almost entirely due to just the confidence they had yeah. when talking about it. I liked that this was just a very confident presentation of an obviously close-to-finished game that looked very polished, that looked very confident in its yeah. own systems, and, you know, that makes me... I will definitely play this when it comes yeah. out, and it, it looks very good. Yeah, it was also a presentation with a lot of variety to it. Mm -hmm. like, like we said, like they showed a bunch of like peripheral systems, and like they didn't try to spend a lot of time focusing on the stuff about the game that you already kind of assume is like, you know, the combat system is going to be like Fallout 3. It still has VATS in it, though. Like, it seems like they've changed up that VATS system a little bit. And But, yeah, like, the game, I thought it was a really great presentation. The game looks fucking amazing. I could not believe that it was going to come out this year. Yeah. And yeah, I'm yeah, I'm super excited for Fallout 4. I also, like, addendum, I really love that the game doesn't isn't just, like, a brown muddled mess. Which, like, if you look at screenshots for Fallout 3, like, I really like that game. That game looked fucking awful. Like, like just like the, like, not even the graphical fidelity of it. Just the, the aesthetic they were going for was so overly bland in terms of like trying to be bland because it's the post-apocalypse but it's like at a certain point you don't want that it's more kind of like you know the way that like Mad Max Fury Road looks or something it's like yeah it's the post-apocalypse but just because it's the post-apocalypse doesn't mean that like it the sky isn't blue anymore you right. know it doesn't mean that like sand can't be like bright orange when it reflects the sun like it's... This this overall just felt like it had a certain level of character and voice to it that I never got out of Fallout 3 in my attempts to play it. 
Yeah, like, yeah, it was definitely something that's in there for Fallout 3, but it's not on the surface. Like, you had to dig into it. It's like, yeah, Fallout 4, like, has a lot of that, like, kind of, like, in its aesthetic and, aesthetic and like, just kind of out there, just even looking at trailers. It really does feel like it's going to do for this series what Skyrim did for Elder Scrolls, of making yeah. it interesting to a much wider audience mm-hmm. than yeah. just the devotees. This is going to be something that I think you can put a trailer out there on a, you know, TV spot or something, yeah. and random people will say, that looks like something fun I'd like to play. Yes. So... Definitely. Bethesda had a good showing. That was their first one ever. Yeah, yeah. really strong showing, you know, like, especially that Fallout 4 stuff was great. They've just gotten very big recently, and this was a nice, you know, showing they're on very healthy footing and reinvesting in good stuff. And I thought it was smart of them to sort of do that and sort of claim their games for themselves instead of having to trot out onto every single stage Mm -hmm. to show off every product that they were making. It's like they're making a brand for themselves because they're strong enough to make a brand for themselves and I think that's cool absolutely so let's see that was Bethesda then the next day kicked off with Microsoft uh, which I will say up front this was my favorite conference so far Hmm. um and that's not necessarily a knock on anyone else except Nintendo (laughs) but I wish we're gonna have to make some Nintendo jokes today yes um but I just I was very impressed because Microsoft has had a rough couple of years. Yes, they <laughs> understanding it. But I think if you were to make a, a chart of how they've gone from the absolute utter zero bedrock of their Xbox One announcement, yeah. to now it's an exponential curve. Like yeah, like now that you say that, like I kind of want to watch these back to back, like the, the announcement conference and this conference. Like the it's just yeah, it's completely different. It's amazing that they've like. And, Phil Spencer, like, the, the main dude now at Xbox, like, he is fucking doing work. Like, he has pulled that entire console around and is, like... There's a lot of smart people yeah. there. And, you know, last year, our conclusion, I think both of us on E3, uh, for Microsoft at E3 last year, was that this is good, this is a nice step, it's fairly bland, and it still feels a little muddled. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, it was like, a tr- like the transition stage of them kind of having one foot in the camp that they are firmly in now and one foot back into, like, their weird always-on DRM kind of stuff they were in at the launch. Yeah, and now, you know, it's like, I watch this conference and I'm like, I'm so happy I have an Xbox One because look at how much exciting stuff, and not just from one area. It's, they had great indie games to show. They had that backwards compatibility announcement, which is mind-blowing and awesome. They had so many good first-party games. Like, in terms of exclusives, no one brought it this year like Microsoft. Yeah. And even Nintendo, which is all exclusives, they didn't somehow they didn't bring it as much as Microsoft. They didn't bring like anything. No, Animal Crossing Mario Party probably shouldn't have even really like shown. No, (laughs) they had nothing. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) we'll get there. But yeah, so let's talk about Microsoft. They kicked things off with what I thought was a really good Halo Five trailer because if you've been following Halo Five, we've all played the multiplayer actually because they had a beta. We've seen stuff from that. We really haven't seen anything from the campaign yet. And then right other before, than those like weird commercials, other than those weird commercials, which won't be in the game, you know. Yes. Um, but then or right before, maybe that is the whole game, and we just don't know. Right before E3, there were there were some leaks from Game Informer that told us a couple of little things. But this yeah. was really our first big showing of it, and it looks good. Like it looks like they've kept that Halo feeling mm-hmm. while really innovating and changing things. It's and I like that it's an evolution of Halo Four because I think Halo Four is a great, great campaign. It's got some weak spots here and there in terms of you know not introducing the villain, yes, and those sorts of things. It's like some that we said where I replayed the Halo Four campaign relatively recently, and I was like, oh right, that whole thing with the librarian lady happened. What the fuck was that? 
There's some weird stuff but, in that campaign. But Halo 4 has, you know, beautiful graphics, yes. beautiful design. And incredible sound design. It's still the best sound design yeah. in any game I've ever played. And uh, I think some really great, interesting storytelling stuff. And this looks like it's an expansion of all that stuff they did, where, you know, now you have the two teams of four. We've got Locke, you've got Chief. You've got Blue Team. You've got Blue Team, and you've got Team Osiris. You've got Buck coming back from ODST, which Nathan is cool. Fillion, yep. they, they've, like... Now he doesn't look like a like Barbie doll. Now he's like, yeah, that's a Nathan Fillion model that like looks like a human being now. Right. So you know, it it just and we didn't even. I like that they're still holding off. We're not seeing the chief yet, and yeah. I'm getting the sense that we're not going to see any of that till the game comes out, Probably which I not. love. But just seeing the lock stuff, you know, because the last time they tried to do this multiple protagonist thing was Halo Two, and it was a hot mess. Yes. This looks a, like a much better version of that. Yeah. And I like that it's got that co-op side to it, even when you're not with other people. Mm-hmm. But it also really honors that legacy of co-op Halo has always had and expands upon it in a way that looks really exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in it. Like, it, it is like, a, you know, since like a lot of that stuff had leaked out, nothing about the trailer sort of surprised me. Because it's like, you know, it got out there that like the structure of it is like Agent Locke has his team of four people. Like, that's him and three other people, one, one of whom is Buck. And then they're going after Master Chief. And it's like, even though this isn't part of the conference, I still want to address this because it's something that's interesting to me in a lot of different ways. Is that the rumors, and like seems like it must be what it is, is that for Master Chief he has Spartan Blue Team. Which is like a set of characters from the books that are other Spartan 2s that were with him in the training program. It's Linda, Kelly, and Fred. I love those characters. So. Yes, but they're... they're also expanded universe characters, and I'm, it makes it makes me excited for it as a fan of Halo to see what the story is. It also makes me concerned because the worst part about Halo 4's story in the campaign was when they tried to dig into the expanded universe and utilize like the didact and stuff, but not explain it well enough. Yes, but not be able to because the structure of Halo's campaigns are not suited for complex exposition. You know, they're too action based. They're not. There's no like time to set up a villain like set up all these other characters the way that you want them to be set up and i'm a little bit concerned that if they're going too deep into the expanded universe stuff that they're going to start alienating people who aren't already halo fans like this might be nothing again they haven't really shown anything from it but it's just something i've been thinking about a lot again because i'm a huge fan of halo and then pulling in spartan blue team that's like my era of expanded universe stuff it's like I had stopped reading the books by the time all the forerunner shit happened with the didact. It's like I know who Kelly, Linda, and Fred are. I like all those characters, but it's like, how are they going to put them in the game with the history that those characters have and stuff? It's it's we'll it's definitely to me. we'll definitely see. But you know, the thing I'll say is, you need someone the chief has a relationship with now that Cortana's gone. True. So I like that these are people with a pre-existing relationship there, and if you can sketch it in in the way, honestly, they did way back in the day on Halo One, where Cortana and the Chief go way back at the start of that game. Sure. We're just they're just implying it, and we yeah. just get that. I think you could do that, and then you know all that other stuff could just be whatever you know you bring into it, and I think I think it could work. I absolutely think what yeah. you're saying could be the downside, but I also think there could be a big upside to this. Yeah, that, it's like it feels like they're going for a really big risk with Halo Five, and just in terms of how they're structuring the campaign, specifically with the story stuff of that, like introducing all these characters and developing all of them is go- it's a big task to handle, specifically for the kind of campaign that Halo has. That in- and it seems like they're not changing up the basic format of a Halo campaign, like. They're, they're changing up a lot of the stuff in terms of having these AI companions that are with you that you can kind of order around that then also can, like, your friends can drop in and inhabit those characters on the fly. 
Like, that's cool, but it seems like it's still going to be, like, a linear campaign-based, like, mission-based uh, single-player campaign. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, I'm really curious to see more from it. Like, this made me really excited about Halo 5 in a way that the beta kind of left me a little bit cold on it, because I wasn't super hot on the changes that they had made, but this combined with the Warzone announcement... Which looks cool. Yeah, it seems like a really cool new multiplayer mode that, like, puts some AI stuff in it, kind of... Puts a little bit of MOBA, like Dota style uh, ideas into the Halo multiplayer. Like that seems really exciting and interesting to me. And at least they're they're going, f- they're heading in a direction that I think is like, if they are able to nail it, is a great direction to head in. I think it's going to be hard to pull it off. But I'm I'm really excited about it because it seems like they're really going for something cool. I absolutely agree with all that. And, you know, there's just the other pieces of periphery announcements that were, they mentioned it here, but also is from the Game Informer stuff that... You know they're launching with they're they're shipping with twenty maps. Yeah. There'll be fifteen more that are completely free. They're not charging for map DLC. So we'll see if there's any paid DLC for this game. Um, but I like that they're they've got this big commitment to both multiplayer and single player, and it looks pretty extensive. And it looks like they're really working for our love, and yeah. that's good. Yeah, and, and then also like the little bit of stuff has come out of like gameplay from the E3 show floor. Of like the updated build from the beta build, it seems like they have taken some of like the smaller periphery comp- complaints that people had to heart. Like like a lot of the things that I complained about, just in terms of the presentation of the multiplayer, just like they toned down the Spartan chatter, they toned down like the animations at the end of the game, where it's like it's not a bunch of like Spartans, Bros. like yeah, like bro fisting and jumping up and bumping chests and stuff. It's not that. It's like. They, it looks like they're trying to maintain some of the mystique that the Spartans should have, ideally. And they've really... Like, it's really nice that it's like, okay, they have taken those criticisms to heart, which were not criticisms that I alone had. It's like they are making changes. They also... Like, because I, I watched the, the Conan O'Brien show does that Clueless Gamer segment, and they did a Halo 4 one, which is pretty funny. I recommend you watch it. It's like nine minutes. But there's a brief moment where one of the, the players zoomed in with the sniper rifle, and I was waiting for that, because I've remembered from the beta... The sniper rifle I hated because the zoom animation took like a second to do when it should be like instantaneous. They've sped it all the way up to like old Halo style. It's like, yes, they fixed the sniper rifle. Good. It's like, it's like, that's like, that was the main thing I needed. It's like, okay, I'm in, I don't have an Xbox One, but you do. I will play this game when it comes out and I will be able to use the sniper rifle. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just one of the things I think is very special about the Halo games is that all of the mainline Halo games when they've come out, they've been these big labors of love they've put a lot of work into. And I like we're seeing that even more with this one where it really feels like 343 is pulling out every stop possible to make this special. And that's good because I think that differentiates it from some of the other, you know, annualized franchises. Like, I don't care about Assassin's Creed Syndicate or Black Ops 3. Oh, there's, God. there's nothing in Actually, either Black of those. Ops 3 looks pretty cool to me, but we'll talk about that. But Syndicate, I yeah. could not okay. give a shit about. I'm, I'm so passed on Call of Duty, it's not even their fault anymore. I guess it's because it's... I, I really like Dance Warfare okay. with Black Ops And I couldn't get into it, so there you go. But anyway, um, Halo 5 looks good. Yeah. And then... then what I, and, and I just want to do like a small side note, just because like, it's something I noticed. It's, it's, it's true throughout uh, all of E3 this year so far. That was just like, just like a nice small thing. Is that like, you know, with all the Gamergate stuff that has been going on, I thought it was cool that Microsoft, and everyone has like done this in some small way here and there. Like, Microsoft started their press conference with a woman, Bonnie, Bonnie Ross, Ross, the head yeah. of 343 Industries, coming out on stage. Like, everyone had some sort of like, you know, more representation of more of like the kinds of people that are making games. It wasn't just all like white dudes up on stage this year or just white dudes in the games this year. It's like, it's just nice to see that it's like to remind yourself that the Gamergate, like that sort of stuff, 
is on the periphery. It is like a small segment of really toxic, awful, hateful, toxic people that are like making the video game industry look bad when like the people actually making the games are not like that. But it's like it's not. It's not like it, honestly, like video games. The actual people making video games, I feel like, are doing better than Hollywood is doing with movies. It's like it's really nice to see. It's like this is moving somewhere. Like we're not like stuck in the past, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. when we get to Mad Max next week, we're going to talk about that. This is our one feminist movie of the decade. Yeah. Exactly. Yay. Huh. Well, anyway. I guess one feminist like mainstream movie of the decade. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Move on from that. All right. Next, we had Recore. And all they had to say for this one is from the makers of Metroid Prime. It's the studio yeah. that split off after the Prime trilogy. It's that director who clearly a genius because Metroid Prime yeah. is just one of the best games ever made. And they haven't done much yet. The only big thing that studio's done is Arkham Origins Blackgate. Yeah, which was not well received. I never no. played it. People said it was it had good ideas, but just wasn't. Yeah, that it was okay, but not enough. all the way there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this looks like a really original project from them, something that... Yeah, brand new IP. Brand new IP, and it started this theme of this press conference of we're sticking with exclusives, here's what Microsoft is giving that no one else is, you know, we've yeah. got Halo 5, then we've got ReCore, which looks very artistic, very beautiful, I'm not sure what kind of game it is yet, but Yeah, I... it was a teaser trailer, so there's not a lot of information in it. But... Right, but it makes me excited, it's like, this is a kind of project that I like knowing is coming to my console. Yes. And then you should also say, this is just for me, that it wasn't just the Metro from the creators of Metroid Prime. It was from the creators of Metroid Prime and Keiji Inafuna, who, who's a old Capcom dude who was involved with Mega Man stuff. And also, he was the head of like the original Dead Rising, and that game is awesome and goofy. And so if there's just a little bit of that like really insane goofiness that that guy has that like just follows him in his wake in this game, that makes me excited for it even more. Nice. And it had a cool robot dog. Robots are the theme of, some, of the new IPs. Robots are big... Apparently for 2016. So what was next? Uh, they had a little bit of Fallout 4 stuff. And I should say, we're going to do the game stuff and then talk about the news after we cover all the games. Because that's just the way this is structured. So the next was they had a little bit of Fallout 4. Nothing too new. Uh, oh, there was the cross-mod support between PC and Xbox One. Which sounds interesting. I'm curious to see what that actually means in terms of the implementation of it. Because obviously... You know, they're not going to let you download, like, we've retextured, like, we've upped the resolution on all the textures in the game as this mod. Xbox One can't do that because it's not a PC. Or, hey, we made everything nude and put giant dicks on everything. That mod's probably not going to make it over to the Xbox. So I'm curious to see what the sort of the gating system is, what kind of mods you'll be able to. But it's very, it's interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's cool that, like, every, it feels like every few years someone comes out and says that, like, they're doing this. Like, PS3 did it. Uh, back in the PS3 days, with one with an Unreal Tournament game, I think that like I'd never I I don't know how that went, but it's like hey, sure mods, let's try it. Like Microsoft made like a lot of like effort to sort of like address the fact that they also you know make fucking Windows, and so they have a responsibility in the PC gaming market. So like that was one of those things. Then Plants vs Zombies, Garden Warfare Two. People really know. like that. Yeah, people uh, it's like not, the first game. It's not my thing, but whatever. Yeah. And, and they didn't spend a ton of time on no, it. So. No, like we'll talk about actually the EA one because it's like where it came up in the EA conference was really weird. Okay. Forza. Forza Motorsport 6. Nothing interesting here except they came down on a giant car and spent longer talking yeah, about that car than the game. Well, I feel like Forza does this every time the Forza game comes out with like, because it's kind of like with how Madden has like the cover player. Forza has the cover car, the car that's on the cover. And this is some new cool Ford car or something. They had like Henry Ford, the 57th or whoever he was, like come out with like our Lord Henry Ford come out on stage. And he was like, it's a car game. The cars look better this year. 
Yay! Yay! Hey, See but you, you know, in two years from Forza Motorsport Seven. But at the same time, I will say they have effectively turned this into part of Microsoft's brand that Xbox is where you go for good racing games. Sure, and I think it's just a, a symptom of the larger yeah. stuff they're doing just here. Wait being till on Drive message. Club Two comes out, Jonathan. Sony's going to take that back. I'm surprised they didn't just delete Drive Club from the yeah. shop and pretend it never happened. Like cause... kill everyone involved with the development and like throw them in the ocean. That was a fiasco. I was a little, I'll say, I was a little bit disappointed that nobody said the word Drivatar when Forza came out just because I find that term really dumb. Yeah. All right, then Dark Souls, Souls 3. 3. Dark Souls 3 is interesting because um, I did not like Dark Souls 2. I love Dark Souls 1. I love Bloodborne even more than any of those. And Dark Souls 3 is like the Miyazaki, who is the guy who did Demon Souls and Dark Souls and then did not do Dark Souls 2. But did Bloodborne? He is now the dire- he is the director for Dark Souls Three, oh, okay. which apparently has been in development. I, I feel like they said like halfway through like Dark Souls Two or something. They split off a team to start like pre production on Dark Souls Three. So I don't know a lot about Dark Souls Three. They just showed a trailer, so there wasn't a lot of like actual game information in the press conference. But there's the, I'm now that I know that like it's a different team, like mostly a different team that the the Miyazaki guy is heading. The he's the director. It's like I'm. Interested in the idea of Dark Souls three? I feel like it's uh, it's going to have a 2016 release, or at least that's what they said. Like who knows if it gets pushed back? But that may be a little bit too soon for me. That's like I really like these games, but I can't play one like every single year, you know. And like even if Bloodborne was a little bit different, I also think like it's not different enough to like cure my fatigue of like these kinds of games. And then also it was different enough that I don't know how I'll feel going back to. Dark Souls three like like shield and sword and slow gameplay style again, but we'll, we'll see, see what, what they do yeah, with it. There's we'll really no indication of what they're doing with it. It could be very different for all we know. Yeah. I mean, I know I've I've like seen enough interviews to know at least that it is like it is Dark Souls and not Bloodborne. Like it's okay. definitely going back to some of that stuff. Yeah. So the next the division was on stage. That it's was, a clusterfuck. Yeah. We'll so get we, there we'll someday. Talk about that on Ubisoft a little bit. That game doesn't look that good. Rainbow Six Siege showed up a little bit. Uh, I, we should say that, like. You know, with some of the backwards compatibility stuff. Also with Fallout 4, forgot to mention that, like, there's going to be something with Fallout 3 coming out for free. Like, if you have the game, like, you'll be able to play, get Fallout 3 on your Xbox One through, like, the backwards compatibility stuff. Yep. Also, Rainbow Six Siege, they said Rainbow Six Vegas and Vegas 2. I've played Vegas 2. That game's awesome. So nice. that would be a good thing to get. Gigantic is another third-person MOBA game. They showed a trailer. I don't care. This is uh, the part of the show where I was maybe... Yes, yeah, so this is where they, they, they... We should say, like, this is a section where they just showed a bunch of trailers and moved really fast, and nothing was super stood out. But this is where stuff started standing yes. out, because then well, we got one back... One thing in particular really stood out. Oh, my God. Then we got into their ID at Xbox yeah, stuff. Yeah, indie stuff. They showed four independent games. All of them look great. One in particular looks mind-blowing to yes. me. But they all looked good. I'm, in, yeah. I'm interested in all of these. Mm-hmm. So, let's just go through and list these. They had... Cuphead, which is the one that... Cuphead's the best. This... Yeah, it's basically like if you've ever seen a really old Disney, like the original Disney cartoons, like Steamboat Willie. Or and... Fleischer cartoons. Yeah, and that was turned into some crazy fucking video game. That's just what that is. Like, it is... In... Like, just the... The visual style yeah, is... Yeah, the visual style is so insane, where, like, it so perfectly recreates that style and makes it playable. If it's you like... played... 
South Park, The Stick of Truth. Yes. I would say it's kind of comparable to that in emulating an art style, only better. Because Stick of Truth was really janky. Yeah. Where, like, if someone told... Like, if you just saw a video of it and no one told you that it was a video game... You would have no you idea. Would know, you wouldn't know. Like, you would just look at it as like, oh, this is some really cool old-school style animation that someone made. Or, like, The Stick of Truth, it's like, you see it's like, oh, this is a kind of weird-looking... Who's that, like, guy in the South Park episode? Who's this character? Like, that's, like, the level of fidelity is so good. Yeah, and it, it just, looks awesome. Yeah, it, it's the kind of thing where I watched it and my jaw dropped yeah. because I, I couldn't believe that was a game. Yeah, it should be said I have no idea what the actual gameplay is or anything like that, but looking at the game looks fucking awesome. Well, so and people have demoed it on the stage floor, and it's pretty unanimous that this game looks good. Yeah. Like people are saying, it's it's very difficult. It's a platformer kind of thing, but it's very engaging. So yeah. I'm excited for that. The next up is Tacoma, which is the uh, next good. game from the people who made Gone Home. I think Fulbright Studios is their uh, name. Like Gone Home was awesome. I um, might have been my number one. It was either that or the last. It was. Of it, was it was. I think it was Gone Home was your number two and last. Okay, was number one. But yeah, like it was one I of would, the best games that year. I would maybe even revise that now because Gone Home is stuck with me more than The Last of Us. So yeah. I love that game. Yeah, Gone Home was really cool. It's cool to see that studio moving. Like it has a sci-fi setting. Yeah. To there's some crazy sign language door. That yeah. Cool. Ashen. I honestly don't remember much about Ashen. Do you remember what was that? Was the one with like the two, like the guy and the girl character? I think that's right. Yeah. That's like it was. I couldn't really discern what was the game was from the trailer, but the visual style was really striking. Well, that's what I'll say about all four of these. The last one being uh, Beyond Eyes, which is yeah, the one about one the blind really cool. girl. Yeah. Uh, they all were very distinctive in their style, and that's what I think you want from independent games. Yeah. And this this was the best independent game showcase I've seen since Sony a couple of years ago. I feel yeah, like. where they had like all like the guys walk up on stage and like, here's this guy playing this game. Here's this guy playing this game. Yeah. Just very, like, I had always thought before now that Microsoft's commitment to indies was just a little perfunctory. Yeah. This was this was them throwing down, you know, the towel. Like, this is, that, that sounds like they're surrendering. No. Yeah. Um, they're throwing, throwing the gauntlet. Yes. There we go. It's throwing like, down the towel. <laughs> of gauntlets. No. Yes. It, this looked like, it's like, this is a real commitment. Here are four games that look really interesting. Could yeah. be very, very good. And they're coming to Xbox and we're supporting them. That's what you want to see. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, next, Ion from the Daisy guys. Uh, Daisy still has not actually come out as a game, so I find it really weird whenever that guy comes up and is like, it's Dean Hall, and he's like, we're making this. He's like, Aren't you Daisy's making... been in production since like 2007, guys. Like, fucking f- get that game out of beta. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, whatever. Ion's I... a sci-fi thing. Yeah, it, it was too vague, yeah. and, and that guy was really pretentious. Yeah. Fucking he's, hell. He's the creator Imagine of if it wasn't a game... But a universe. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Next, uh, Rise, Rise of the, of the Tomb, Tomb Raider. Still got a bad title, but it had an awesome demo. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> because last year they they'd had a sort of teaser trailer for it. This is the first gameplay we've seen. The and game looks visually really great. It does. And, and I am a huge fan of Tomb Raider. That was one of the best games the year it came out. I think it's fantastic. Really fun game. My only worry with Rise of the Tomb Raider from what we saw... Is I don't want them to dial up the abuse of Laura so much she sure. looks like a superhero. Because in the first game it's already like, okay, she would have broken every bone in her body like five times. And in this this first cutscene they put her through more than they do yeah. in like the whole first game. Like what if they had ended the gameplay demo with one of those like really brutal like death animations yes. from the first game? It's like, like she just gets impaled on an icicle and it's like, oh my god! Like holy shit, it's like, and you'll be able to do this to Laura Croft... Later this year. Like, what? 
And I should say, I think they they do a very good job of walking that line between they put her through a lot of abuse, but she is still the active agent in yeah, the story, yeah, definitely. which is great. And it looks like they're still doing that, and it looks fun and exciting, and like an evolution of that first yeah, game. Yeah, and it looks like as I mean, I didn't play the first Tomb Raider game, but it looks really good. But like, I did like about this just as the trailer. Once they got through the big gameplay demo and kind of had the tr- like fast edited trailer at the end, it looks like there's a large variety of like locations and stuff in this. Whereas like the first one was just set on that one island, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like obviously there's different places you go on the island, but this was like reminded me more of like the older Tomb Raider games, just in terms of like it's more of a like globe hopping adventure where she's like up in this, these like mountains and then she's in the Brazilian rainforest or something like actually going in and raiding tombs. Like, well, and that's the thing. This looked like it had actual tomb raiding. The other tomb raider has, it's all optional. Yeah. And it's like, because it was like her like quote unquote origin story. As yeah. Yeah. Laura Croft, the tomb raider. And I actually thought the tomb raiding stuff in that first game was great. It's just, that's it's, what I've heard. It's not yeah. fully integrated. Yeah. Which is fine. We'll, we'll see how they do it in the sequel. Yeah. So it looks good. So the next we got... Some, and when we got a release yeah. date for that. It's coming out the same uh, day as Fallout 4. November 10th, yes, 2015. We'll see if they move that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so then we had uh, Rare come out with their making... They're coming out with Rare Replay, which is a collection of like 30 Rare games. And no, GoldenEye is not one of them. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Obviously, not, yeah. yeah. But Conquer's just... Bad for a Day for people who are five years old can go play that game again. But there's good ones in there, Yeah, too. there are good ones, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of like Rare's backlog, so it's like not that interesting to me but for people who it's a good deal games yeah it's yes 30 bucks for 30 rare games some of which are like you know banjo and kazooie nuts and bolts which was a 360 game and like i I presume viva pinata viva pinata must be in there it is that and viva pinata too so you get both of those right which that alone for some people will be enough to have that yeah i mean yeah for like 30 bucks like that's a good price for like those three games that are not like they're old games but they're not that old and finally battle toads on xbox one We've been predicting it forever for some reason. Sure, yeah. I Battle don't know. Toads. That game's okay. I don't know if I don't know why people are so like enamored with Battle Toads. It had really cool animations. That was the thing that I remember about Battle Toads. But it's just it's this big fucking deal. And then yeah. and anyway. but we can't forget the the seminal N sixty four classic Jet Force Gemini. That complete unplayable piece of shit of a game. That at least a game that I think is atrociously awful. I didn't play it when it came out, but Jet Force, you, right can, you can play Jet Force Gemini August 4th on the Xbox One if Yay! you hate yourself. And then you can play Benjamin Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, because that's the best Benjamin Kazooie game. And then eventually you'll be able to play this pirate game they're yeah, making. Sea of Thieves. Which looks really cool. Yeah, like, it was a, the trailer they showed I thought was a little weird, because it was all first person, and there's all this stuff going on with them on the ship, and like, like, you know, broadsides and like cannonballs flying through the air. But the player point of view was not doing anything so I was like what do you actually do in like like there's stuff going on but the player character that we're like seeing the viewpoint from is not doing anything I was a little bit confused at that like, like how come the the character is not doing anything in this trailer I thought it was just like it was a strange and it's also something where like you know like this is not saying anything about the quality of this game but I always feel it really it's really weird when Microsoft tries to like trudge Rare out onto the stage and be like we're making a new Rare game because it's like all the people who made those games are not a part of that studio anymore they gutted it after FIFA Pinata 2 and made them make avatars for the Xbox 360 that's what happened to Rare it's like it like this game can still be good it does like that does not say anything about the quality of Sea of Thieves but but it doesn't say anything about the quality of Sea of Thieves, I guess is exactly what I'm saying. That's like, it could be good, it could be bad, You, but Rare making it means absolutely nothing. And I kind of, 
you know, it's what it's, it's not like a big deal, but I always it's, it makes me a little bit angry. It's like it's very it's, disingenuous to it's skeevy. It's very disingenuous to come out there and be like it's the studio that brought you Viva Pinata, but none of the people who did, except for like maybe the concept artist or something. Who knows? It's like when you what? watch movie trailers now and they'll say from the producer of yeah, like from Jerry Bruckheimer. It's like that doesn't tell you anything about this movie. No. Anyway, all right. What else we, we actually got? got? A quick demo of Fable Legends. Like yay, yeah. Like oh. as a huge Fable fan, I'm kind of disappointed that Fable Legends just it just looked like a Fable game. It's like completely different. So whatever, that's what it is. And then it was Gears of War time. Yes. Then this is really weird to me. They're doing a remake or like not a remake, like an update, the definitive edition we'll call it for Gears of War One, the ultimate edition as they call it. Yes. But for only Gears of War One, which is like. Gears of War 1 has maybe my favorite campaign just in terms of like nostalgia factor for the franchise but I think Gears of War 3 is unequivocally the best game like I get the Gears of, like, Gears of War 1 is the oldest one and thus like it looks visually the worst but like I want like the multiplayer from Gears of War 3 and I want the horde mode from Gears of War 3 I like I don't need to replay the campaign from Gears of War 1 that bad, you know? Like I pretty I pretty much agree with you. Yeah. I think some of the stuff they're doing with the dedicated multiplayer is kind of exciting, but sure. I don't know. We'll we'll see. It's, I, yeah, I it's agree. just an updated version of an old game, but it feels like, you know, like they're doing the... Like Sony's doing their Uncharted collection that at least have, like... They're putting all the Uncharted games in it. It's not just like, you can play Uncharted 1, but not 2 or 3, or you can just play 2, like... Like I, I think what I would have done is I would have put in the campaigns for gears for all three of the games, and then like the multiplayer, like an updated multiplayer in horde mode from three. Yes. Like that would be the ideal Gears of War Ultimate Edition, like like the the Marcus Phoenix Collection or whatever they want to call it, the Durag Collection. I agree, and you know some of the bite was taken out of this by the backwards compatibility announcement because now you can yeah. just play Gears of War three if you want. If they let you play Gears of War. Oh well, no, yeah. Gears of War three might be on there. Yeah, Gears of War one. I would be surprised if they they allowed backwards compatibility for games that they're making HD remakes of. It's I not on there. It's not on the list yet. I'll say that. It's not on the list in that in that art they have. I know they have all the Halo ones in there. In that sure that like promo art they have, yeah. and they have other ones that have their definitive editions already. So I agree they could do something kind of skeevy with that, yeah. but we'll see. Um, yeah, because it does. It just just does feel a little weird too when you announce backwards compatibility and then you also announce an updated version of a game that's like Gears of War One doesn't need an updated version that bad. Yeah, like the only reason like I kind of tolerate the definitive edition stuff otherwise is because there's no backwards compatibility. Like yeah. there's no reason for it when there is. Right. But then we got what I thought was a really lackluster demo of a game that just on the screen said Gears 4. It did not say Gears of War 4. It did not say Gears of 4. It just said Gears 4, which I thought was interesting. Maybe the of was really small. Yeah, it's, it's like it's hard to who knows if that was just like their like logo treatment or if that's the full title of the game. But like it I did, really it looked so nondescript. It just was Yeah, it was like I really generic. like Gears of War. I like Gears of War like I, I guess I really love Gears of War 1. Gears of War 2 was a good game that really disappointed me, so I kind of hate it in my memory because it's like it was a huge letdown. And I thought Gears of War 3 was an amazing game, one of the best games on the 360, probably. And I would so, agree with that. Gears 4, like the, having this demo where, like, at least, you know, new characters, which I think is a good idea, like, not to trot Marcus Phoenix back out because that guy's kind of done. He took his do rag off at the end of 3. Mm-hmm. It's, it's over for him. But, like, and I kind of appreciated, I guess, that they had more of the survival horror aesthetic that Gears of War 1 had that the series kind of got away from in this demo. 
But it was a really long gameplay demo where kind of nothing happened in it. It was a lot of walking around, having these two characters you don't really know about, say a couple of lines of dialogue to each other, and then a couple of new enemies pop out and you shoot them with a lancer. Like, That's, that was the whole demo. I agree. It it was not all that interesting. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of a bummer that, like, a Gears of War 4 announcement comes out and it's like, well, you must have had something more interesting to show from this game. But, it felt very limp. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was a... It was a disappointing note to end the conference on because it was like, sure, Gears of War Four is not like the most exciting announcement, but like I'm sure it's going to give a really good demo. The same way that like Uncharted Four is not the most like groundbreaking announcement you can make that you're making Uncharted Four, but they gave a hell of a demo of it. It's like Gears of War Four is like, ah, oh, this is the note you leave. That this is a really great conference. Yeah. Oh well. Okay, uh, but you said you wanted to talk about those uh, the other yes, announcements. Yes, the news announcements. Let's move to those. So first of all, we kind of like talked about a little bit around the periphery. Backwards compatibility was the big one. Boy, am I happy about this. Yeah. And it's really cool if you've seen some of the stuff they've put out since the conference of how they're doing it. Yes. It's really clever. It's just they're just emulating the Xbox 360 software and hardware. Yes. And on then, a very basic level. On a very basic level and then everything can come in. It's kind of like, but much more seamless, how the Wii U does Wii stuff. Yes. But, but you don't have to boot into Xbox 360 mode. No. It's basically It's like, an app. Yeah. Like they, 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 they're putting in because kind of basically the ability to emulate the entire Xbox 360 uh, software like OS suite. And then, like, tricking the system into thinking that the game itself that it's running is just a game called the Xbox 360, more or less, and, like, runs everything with the game so that they can run the game through that emulation and not have to, like, emulate each in the game, any game individually. But then it also allows them to, like, do multiplayer stuff with it. It also allows them to put in some of their, like, record and share features that they have on the base level Xbox One OS and allow you to engage with that on 360 games, which is really cool. And still have original achievements and all of yeah, that Yeah, exactly. Stuff. It's a very comprehensive version of emulation that's a lot more sophisticated than the stuff that 360 did with the original Xbox. Yeah. Then it also seems like the way they are doing it is just I was a little bit concerned on the announcement itself. They had this thing where it's like, as long as the publisher approves it, like, and then like talked about some stuff, it's like, oh, like maybe this is something kind of like the original Xbox emulation on the 360 where it's like they'll start doing it but then like actually like a third of the library will not end up being backwards compatible because of how much work it comes in but for this it seems like it's more or less seamless like they literally just need kind of the go ahead do some Q&A to make sure that's nothing broken and then hopefully it'll just be able to go out there and work and I also suspect they're going to be committed to this because it's yes. something that people are excited for and I, I just have to tell you I am so happy about this because yeah. there are still 360 games I'd like to revisit and yes, like definitely. to play and I hate having to just have the other 360 kind of just sitting around sometimes mm -hmm. and I think it's ridiculous that neither of these systems had any kind of real backwards compatibility contingency plan um, or it just it made me kind of bummed out and I'm glad someone's finally doing it and this is so preferable to PlayStation Now yeah. which is stupid I mean PlayStation and, Now is a totally different service like I feel yeah. like it's not there it's, the PlayStation Now does not exist to make the PS4 backwards compatible that's yeah. just how some people are like trying to use it I understand like, it's a very different thing but yeah like it's really this, cool this should just be really nice and seamless like if you yeah. want to play Mass Effect 2 It'll take your cloud save. Or you if, play you, the if game. you want to play Mass Effect 1. Which I thought that was a really... Like, I love Mass Effect 1. A weird choice for that to be the one that like they play on stage. It's yeah. like, oh, because I haven't seen footage from Mass Effect 1 in a long time. It's like, oh, hey, the last level of Mass Effect 1. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it was kind of funny. But, I mean, it's just... And some of the ways they're doing it, too. Like, your digital Xbox 360 games will just yes. show up in your library. That's cool. How cool is that? Yeah. Like, I could just wake up one morning and, I don't know, Sonic Adventure 2 is there that I bought. Or Marble Blast Ultra or something. So again, you're picking, like, well, these are weird examples. Why are those, the, like, of all the digital Xbox 360 games I've purchased, Sonic Adventure 2. What should I, what else should I do? I don't, uh, know, I don't know what games you purchased on the Xbox well, 360. What are the big digital Xbox 360 games? Like an I mean, arcade most game. of them ended up being, like, digital in some way that you can, okay. like, you, well, that's can, true. you can play The Witcher 2 digitally if you wanted to. I could. I actually have Dark Souls 1. I've never played it that way, but I have it digitally. There you go. Man, yeah. this is a fucking great game good yeah yeah this is by far the coolest thing that that like one of the coolest things at like arguably maybe even the coolest thing at the whole press conference depending on like what you're emphasizing it's like awesome announcement it's great power play from microsoft for the xbox one like like really helps flesh out that system in a way that's like that the ps4 simply does not have you know it, it kind of puts sony on the defensive that hopefully they will think about doing that as well like figuring out a solution for the, the PS4 right and it's just you know it's the kind of thing where I think they said this in the supplementary video of they hope it encourages people who are still on the 360 to upgrade yes. actually they, it was, it, that was actually kind of a weird moment where they say uh, Phil Spencer said that on the conference on the stage okay. this is like it's, it's one of the things that I like about the new like face of Microsoft is that they are sort of more honest but it was also kind of like you don't expect a company to say that like that's clearly like the primary intention of of bringing over backwards compatibility it's interesting that like they just straight up and said it you know yeah, yeah. but yeah like the cool the best thing about this announcement isn't just that they're doing it to me it's that they're doing it kind of in the best way possible mm-hmm. like it's like outside of having built the xbox one from the ground up to do it from the beginning like this is the best way they could possibly implement this feature so absolutely and i am very excited yeah. to play I don't know. I, I never played 1. Dark Souls One. I never played Skyrim, and it's just now. It's like sure, someday yeah. I'd like to go back and play that. But Skyrim I don't, was really fucking good. I don't want to drag out my 360. So this could I be fun. Still to this day, have never gotten more than like four missions into the main campaign line <laughs> for Skyrim. It just did. I played like 200 hours of that game and just did everything else. Nice. So then the other announcement. Let's just to talk about this quickly. The Xbox Elite Wireless Controller. This is interesting. Yeah, I think. it's basically it's a 150 dollar like premium controller that's. The kind of thing that third parties make this kind of stuff all the time. It's basically something where it's like, you know, you can adjust the triggers so that they have, uh, like, smaller give on them. So, like, you can tap them a lot faster. There's, like, uh, modifiable buttons on the bottom of the controller and stuff. It's, it's something where it's like, these controllers exist. They just don't exist in official capacity. So I was like, yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's something that I would never buy because it's just too expensive and not worth it to me to pay. Here's what I, said to, bucks here's what I said to my brother when we were talking about this. I said... This looks cool for a lot of people. I'm not going to pretend I'm a good enough game player to need this. Yeah, to, to make it matter. Yeah, it's... But yeah, that was... Like, it's not that exciting, but it's like, there's no reason not to do it. So it's like, yeah, cool, go ahead and make an official version of that. Well, it's just, it's kind of... it's Again, it's part of the whole. When you put it next to everything else, it's like there's a lot of cool stuff for a lot of different varieties of gamers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which I like. So then, moving on, this is also really cool. The HoloLens presentation for Minecraft that they did, where they... They kind of showed off some HoloLens stuff, I believe, at GDC. Uh, so this is basically this is here's here's like I thought this whole demo was really cool, and I'm excited about the idea of HoloLens. Here's my one nitpick: I don't like it when they call it mixed reality because we already have the term augmented reality, which I think is a better description of it, mm-hmm. and it's cooler sounding. But like that's the cyber future I want to live in has augmented reality. Mixed reality sounds like weird. It just sounds like something your like mom would call it or something, you know. So hopefully they decide to go back and call it augmented reality but basically i don't fully understand like and i don't think even microsoft knows yet what to do with it in terms of like specific like games made for hololens 
But it is basically, it's what Google Glass should have been from the beginning, that it's more or less, it has a screen on it that allows, like, that allows you to see digital holograms more or less, like, in the world. So it's stuff where this Microsoft or Minecraft presentation was they basically made a 3D representation of Minecraft and had it appear for people wearing the HoloLens and they like had this whole camera thing set up so the audience could see it that generated the Minecraft world in a 3D way out of the table. So it's like 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 imagine if you like made a big Minecraft world out of Lego on a table. It basically just kind of looks like that. Like it just exists in the world to you and he was able to interact with it like move the map around you could see the person playing in real time moving around on the map and again it's something where it's it's sort of the technology isn't fully there like it's clearly like it's in progress stuff but it's really cool it's a cool presentation and it's something that has an advantage over vr which a lot of people are getting into that like you can actually demo HoloLens in a way that like the audience can see and kind of understand some of it, even if you don't get the full effect of the 3D presentation, you can understand what you're seeing with HoloLens. Whereas like trying to demo VR games on like flat TV screens is completely useless, which is probably like Sony didn't really put much effort into it. Right. Yeah, like HoloLens stuff seems cool for the future. Probably actually for applications, probably out way outside the realm of video games is where that technology should go. Then also they said something about like partner like Microsoft for the in a Windows capacity partnering with Valve VR that just seems like a like concession to say it's like yes like Valve VR is probably going to work on Windows because we're talking to Steam it's like okay and then oh yeah like halfway through the the press conference uh, Steve Ballmer from EA came out and he was like hey EA Access is on the Xbox One remember I didn't. When they do that presentation, but now I do, you'll be able to play the Dragon Age Inquisition in Titanfall through EA Access if you pay them like 50 bucks a year or whatever the fuck it is. It, it's a good deal for some kinds of gamers. It's not my thing, but... Yeah, know. I just feel like it, like I feel the same way about it that I did when they announced it. It's like EA just doesn't have a broad enough range of titles. Like if you played every single sports game under the sun, then EA Access is a good idea for you. Which there play. are those kinds of people. Yeah, so. yeah, they do exist, but they're yeah. not in large number. It was a weird moment that like is like one of the kind of the only like extended moment on the Microsoft press conference. I was like, you shouldn't be doing this. This yeah. is like this is taking too much time. And then uh, Xbox Game Preview, which is basically early ex- access for Xbox only, like not obviously as open as early access is on Steam, which I think is a very good idea because early yeah. access is really fucked on Steam. It's like. It seems like it's a very sort of tentative program that's like they're kind of just like introducing to sort of get some feedback and like test the waters for this kind of thing. I just, you know, I generally think early access is a terrible idea. I and what too. was funny about this part of the announcement is the person who was on, I forget who was announcing this on yeah. stage, but he kind of sounded like too like, oh, we're not really sure about this, but we're going to give it the old college try and if it works, great. Yeah, that's basically like I saw there's a, a longer interview that uh, Philip Spencer, I think he was on the stage when they were doing the game preview stuff. He did an interview with Giant Bomb where he was talking about, like, he basically, it was basically what he said. It was just like, well, like, the we're, we're trying to avoid the early access pitfalls by allowing demos, by really screening the games, by not, like, putting every single game out for this program. And that, like, you will be able to play a free demo of the game before you put money into it, which that seems like that is a critical thing that early access on Steam does not have. That's like, yes, that's, if you're going to do this program where I'm with you, I don't, like, like the idea of it basically but if you are going to do it it absolutely needs to have the free demo in place and so it's like yeah it's something where it's like it's just it's something where the video game industry in some ways is moving in that direction and it seems like microsoft is like saying like well let's give it a shot and see if we can do it 
on yeah. Xbox One. I don't think it's a bad idea for Xbox to be doing it in the way they're doing it. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, they're doing it in the best way. Like like with the backwards compatibility, they're doing it in the best way possible. That is like if the game's preview thing falls apart. They're going to just drop it. Like there's, if there's no reason to like force this system, and so that's why they're being slow about it. It's yeah. smart. Absolutely. All right. So that's it for Microsoft. Good yeah. show. We both Very agree. Good show. Yes. Um, let's see for EA and Ubisoft. Let's not do the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll just skim through it with EA. Mass Effect Andromeda is the new Mass Effect game. It was just a teaser trailer. Why the like, fuck did it have Johnny Cash in it? That was weird. I don't know. Yeah, Ghost Riders in the Sky. Did weird, not work. Weird choice for a Mass Effect trailer. Especially because my favorite moment from the whole trailer was the little splash screen at the end where they played actual Mass Effect music. Exactly, yeah. And so, basically, from what I gather, like, what it is is that it's, you know, the new Mass Effect game, but it's set in a new galaxy, which is why it's Andromeda is the nearest galaxy to the Milky Way. Which, that's a, I think that's a smart thing for them to do for Mass Effect. It's like... Even if I love the Mass Effect 3 ending, but, like, I don't know what you do after Mass Effect 3 in terms of the storyline. So, just, like, divorcing yourself from a lot of that baggage and just saying it's, like, we're going to completely new frontiers. I think that's a smart idea for the new Mass Effect. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. And I think that's it's a cool-sounding title. I like uh-huh. Mass Effect Andromeda. But here's a question for you. If you're in a new galaxy, does that mean you now have new galaxy map music? I think you should. I think it should be. I think it should honor the old music, but it's got to be its own yeah, it thing. Has. You need your Andromeda version. Yes. I, that's what I thought. Yeah. So then, Need for Speed. Uh, I that, the old Need for Speed Rivals game, which came out at the launch, was a really cool game with a really good foundation that was utterly broken in a couple of fundamental ways that made me completely incapable of playing it past like five hours. Yeah. So hopefully, this one is cooler. They're doing their uh, weird live action FMV stuff that they did in a couple of 360 games. I'm not a huge racing game guy, so I never played them, but I watched some of it at one point when I heard how goofy it was. I'm glad that they're doing goofy live-action stuff, because someone needs to at some point in video games. So yeah, that's Need for Speed. Uh, there's a Star Wars The Old Republic expansion. The trailer, the CG there was trailer. The big, that was the big surprise. Star Wars The Old Republic is still a thing. I mean, it's actually it's doing really well in oh. this free-to-play MMO space. Like It's actually really successful, but it's like it's kind of like every MMO that's not WoW either is dead immediately or it's like weirdly doing really well in its own weird corner and nobody else ever finds out about it. It's basically worse. Because I just, it was so hyped when it came yes. out and I haven't heard a thing about it in years. Yeah. It, it's like, well, I played a, quite a bit of it when it came out. It's a, it's a good game. Like, if, yeah. you, if someone's interested in playing a free-to-play MMO, I'm sure Star Wars Old Republic, Old Republic is a good choice. But again, there, a new CG blur trailer came out for it like the old ones that when they were still making the game and that trailer's fucking awesome and everyone should just go watch it it's like five minutes it's great nice uh, Star Wars mobile game nobody cares uh, okay the yarn platformer game with Unravel this was it was a really adorable announcement because they got like this Swedish guy to come out on stage and he had this like little yarn doll he made himself called Yarny he had this incredible line where he said I never expected two years ago when I was playing in the woods with Yarny that I would be up on this stage it's like it that seems, is the line of E3 yeah isn't that's it? basically the line of E3 but it seems like it's a cute like indie puzzle platformer who knows how good it's going to be but EA doesn't put this stuff like it was the most refreshing thing because I will say I watched all the press conferences EA's press conference was fucking mind numbing like I hated myself halfway through it and so it was like it was nice to get this breath of fresh air it's like oh something like artistic and like joyful and youthful and like beautiful and new yay and then you went right from that into 
the uh, they had the Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 2 thing. So it's like you go right from this really heartfelt, adorable, like, Swedish guy who's like, me and my, like, 11 buddies, we're back in Sweden, we're making this game, we've always wanted to make it. We're not, like, they're not going to make it for profit, they're, like, making it because it's, like, this is their passion project. And then you have a guy in a big zombie costume come out on stage to the Top Gun song Danger Zone and dance around. And then they showed... Basically, an entire fucking multiplayer match for that fucking Fletcher's Zombies. It was like 10 minutes. It was excruciating. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah. That happened. Then they just went into Sports Hour. Uh, the Hoop God, who is the NBA Live uh, community manager, was up on stage. and I didn't know any they, of that they was They said thing. The Hoop God like five times. I don't know who The Hoop God is. The NBA so, Live 16 is happening. No uh, shit. Yes. FIFA 16 is happening. They brought Pele out, who's like, you know... He's the football soccer guy. Like, he's, like, the great, greatest football player of all time. And, however, they spent, like, they had, like, a ten-minute conversation with Pele. Like, they brought chairs out on the stage. Pele, old, like, I think he's Brazilian. Old Brazilian guy out on stage. Great athlete. Amazing that he's out there. It's like having, like, Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali out on your stage. It's really, it's really amazing that you're doing that. Do not spend ten minutes talking to Pele about Pele's history at soccer. It's like I don't care about FIFA games, but at least play talk about your fucking FIFA game when you're talking about your FIFA game. Here's what would make me play FIFA 16. Yes, if it was accompanied by John Oliver commentary on how much he hates FIFA, or like I was going to say, great. it's like if the if FIFA 16 was just you leading some sort of like legal team that was trying to bust FIFA yeah. after like like these severe human rights violations where they have like basically indirectly caused the deaths of hundreds of people it's like yeah FIFA's really fucked up yeah. it's kind of weird like a couple of weeks after all that news comes out that then you come out on stage and it's like FIFA and they have their trailer they have every year for FIFA which is like they had Pele narrating it last year it was Patrick Stewart and it's like soccer is like God's gift to man. If you don't play soccer, you are some like pathetic excuse for a human being. If you don't care about soccer, you should probably just kill yourself because soccer is everything that the human race have, has ever aspired to. That's basically the tone of all those trailers. Yeah. Had another one of those. Had a teaser trailer from uh, Mirror's Edge 2, which is now called Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Like, that game will probably be pretty cool, but there's not a lot of info about it. Then here's, okay. Also, throughout the entirety, oh, they also talked about hockey and football. So they dedicated like half the press conference to four different sports games. That's how they do it. It's just it was fucking excruciating. This is why I don't watch these, Sean. And but throughout the entire, this is why I watch these because this is fucking hilarious. Throughout the entire conference, like I would say, every ten minutes or so, the whole thing was like an hour. A little thing would pop up at the bottom of the screen, like if you're like watching cable TV, you know, like up next, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, that kind of thing would just pop up and it would say Star Wars Battlefront in thirty five minutes. It's just like you're watching a Mirror's Edge two teaser trailer and like a little thing pops it's like Star Wars Battlefront announcement in three minutes and that wasn't the stream I was watching that was EA doing that putting that up over their own press conferences like I know you don't give a shit about Madden but you probably like Star Wars so don't worry this game that we already announced already had a big thing for at Star Wars Celebration and we're not going to tell you anything new about it we're going to tell you nothing new about it at the end of this show it's like just wait for it it's in 15 minutes so they got to the end. They showed a really long trailer for Star Wars Battlefront. It basically looks like Battlefield of Star Wars stuff. I'll probably play it because I love Star Wars. Like, it looks really high quality. But it is not the kind of announcement you can pin your whole fucking conference no. on. Because there's nothing exciting or new about it. It's Star Wars Battlefront. Like, get over it. Yeah. So that was EA. EA was 
Ignoring Square Enix is a totally different conversation of like the main press conferences. EA, in my opinion, was by far the worst. It was fucking intolerable. So we'll go through Ubisoft really quick. At least Nintendo had puppets. Yeah, I, I will say this. Even though Nintendo had no interesting announcements to me whatsoever, I thought they had actually the best one to watch because it was like very relaxing and comfortable because of the video presentations. Are you talking about the Yoshi's Willy World one? Yeah, and like and just like the fun. weird puppet skits and like just having Shigeru Miyamoto like be there talking about the development of Super Mario Brothers. And I'm like, I, I like I don't because I don't own a Wii U. I'm never going to get any of these games regardless of how good they are. I can just relax and like bask in like Miyamoto-san. Like yeah. let's let's get some of that. No, the Nintendo. If you could look beyond the stupidity of a lot of their choices of the conference, they had a, at least two segments that I thought were really good, and I'm glad I watched. Yeah, that, it was we'll fun to there, watch yeah. because it was a video. But yeah, yeah, let's talk about Ubisoft. Ubisoft had what maybe is actually the greatest start to any press conference because they started it announcing South the new South Park game and with a trailer. And the trailer ends with Cartman saying the name of the game, which he says like South Park, the fractured but whole. That's the best title. The title makes no sense, but it's really fucking funny. And then they had uh, Trey, Trey Parker and that's done. They were out on stage. They was like, they're making a new South Park game, which is surprising. Like I didn't expect there to be a sequel to Stick of Truth. Because that game had a very famously like a really troubled production, so it's, it's cool to see them like. Well, they took out. it away from uh, Obsidian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Said you fucked this. Yeah, no dude. more for you. Like there was all the THQ stuff. Like that game was just fucked in so many ways. Someday Obsidian, you have to learn to make a game without. Yeah, glitches. and would, like they make really amazing games that are like broken in so many ways. It's like so heartbreaking every time Obsidian makes something. But yeah, like the new South Park game, it looks cool. It's superheroes instead of uh, fantasy, which I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, the, the coon stuff I, all. I hope it's more of an actual game and not just an excuse for dry mechanics. But yeah, we'll yeah. see. Then we had the, the game that wins the award for craziest pres- presenter, which is For Honor. For Honor, which it's, it's, it seems like a cool game. It's basically like a medieval three-on-three multiplayer thing with like really uh, intricate sword combat that seems like it's a lot about positioning your sword and doing stances so it's not mashy combat it's all about like predicting what the enemy is going to do and like countering it who knows how good like those controls will be but like the idea of it's really cool but the guy who came out to present it was this crazy motherfucker who basically looked like alan moore like big long bushy gray hair and bushy gray beard he had a cane he had all these like big rings on his finger and he just came out on stage just like ha 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 when you look into yourself do you see a knight a viking a samurai, perhaps, huh? And his voice sounded almost identical to a Trevor from GTA Five, and he said because he also kept on saying like, "Hey, hey," throughout his trip, like fucking presentation. It was crazy. The guy was insane. It was awesome. He did his crazy cackle like three times when he was up on stage. That's great. It, it, that was it. Was really funny because it's like they did. There was not a lot of really crazy presenters in E three this year, so. It's nice to have someone come out there who seemed like he was certifiably insane and maybe wasn't even employed by Ubisoft, but just like took the stage. That's great. Yeah. So there was that guy. They announced an expansion for the crew that uh, the open world driving game that nobody liked. So probably nobody will like that. I keep forgetting it came out. Yes, there was some weird trailer for a new Trials Fusion game or like expansion called Trials Fusion Awesome Level Max that did not show anything from the game. They had a unicorn and a cat. Yay. Yes. Then, okay, let's talk about The Division a little bit, because this is where The Division showed up again here. The Division looks like that game is going to be really bad to me. It's, it's gone through too much. Yeah, just, it's, it's been too long. They've, they've shown it at like every E3 for like the past three years, I think, this, at this point. It seems like it was really promising at first, but especially after like Watch Dogs 
was not what I wanted from Watch Dogs. The, the Division just seems like it is trying to hide what the game actually is at this point. Because the game, what the game actually is, probably is not that interesting. And trying to like make it all mysterious with your dumb like Here's what I'll say. chat stuff. Every time they've shown it, it feels like it's gotten progressively less of an identity. Yeah, yeah. It like just looks more dull, less interesting every time the game gets shown. It's just, yeah. I, it's disappointing. Because it seemed like an idea that had some promise when they first showed it. And just like, it feels like that game is not going to be that good when it comes out. Uh, they talked about they Ubisoft has this like Civ game basically called Anno Twenty Two Oh Five, which is a long running franchise. That that was up there, that was that. They had I think Jason Derulo, he's a rapper dude. He was on stage. He did a really bad song because he was actually like, to his credit, he was singing and not lip syncing, but he also seemed like he was really tired and just like did a very bad performance for Just Dance Twenty Sixteen, which is a dancing game, and that's about that. That's all there is to say about that and. Rainbow Six Siege, uh, they have Terrorist Hunt is going to be in it. That was a really good mode. That's like when I said Rainbow Six Vegas 2 was a really great game. I'm basically saying that Terrorist Hunt mode in Rainbow Six Two was Vegas 2 was a great game because that's all I played. And that was really fun. So that being in Siege seems cool. But there wasn't enough to talk about. Like It seems like it'll probably be a cool game. Trackmania is a driving game that seems really like crazy. I've never played one of them, but people like those games. Assassin's Creed Syndicate. It's another Assassin's Creed game. It looks like they're totally wasting their cool Victorian setting. It Here's the thing. I haven't even watched anything from this because no one talked about it at all. No one yeah. tweeted about it. No one wrote there articles no about it. There was no live gameplay demos or anything, which usually like at least one of the big guys has a live Assassin's Creed demo on this stage just, every year. I'm so disappointed at this point in Assassin's Creed because I came on the series. You came on at the absolute top like when like it seemed impossible that Assassin's Creed was going to get good again. It got good for one glorious shining moment. And then it just went down the complete shitter, it seems. Well, it's just, it's like they gave up. It's like 4 was so innovative, and it was so different than other open world games, and it was so creative, and it was so just transportative. And then you go to Unity, which was nothing, and broken, and Syndicate, which looks like it's nothing, and will probably be broken too. And it's like, fuck it. It's like they gave up all creativity. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what they're doing with that series. And then also, I think it's like... I think it's amazing that the production title, when the game was leaked, uh, like a couple of months ago was Assassin's Creed Victory, which is a way better subtitle for this game because it's set in the Victorian era. Yeah. Victory is not like some cliche word for a subtitle. It's like, Assassin's Creed Victory, that's a great fucking title for this game. Syndicate sounds like the spin-off iOS game. Exactly. Like, yeah. Assassin's Creed Syndicate is such a terrible title for this game. And it also, it feels like they're trying to hide the fact that the main feature of this game is that you're assembling this gang, like, it's like labor disputes and stuff in Industrial Revolution London. This is like, okay, sure, like, if that's the angle you're going for Victorian London, that's a big thing to do, but guess what? You already did the whole, we're assembling a big thing, like, a bunch of people and recruiting them for my big fucking, like, brotherhood of assassins back in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. That was the big feature for that game. That game came out in, like, fucking 2010. In 2015, and you trotted that idea back out and just, like, trying to fool everyone by calling it Syndicate instead of Brotherhood. It's like, yeah, are you fucking kidding me? And then we had what was actually a pretty cool, really long trailer for uh, this new Ghost Recon game called Ghost Recon Wildlands. It seems like it's just like called Ghost Recon because they have the franchise. Because it's like it seems like it's some sort of open world go like like approach these missions in any way you want kind of thing where you're busting up drug cartels in South America. It's like that's a cool idea for like a setting that has military like modern military like trappings. 
but is not just like we're in the Middle East and we're part of some like nondescript military campaign. It's like yeah, busting up some fucking like crazy cocaine cartels and hearing some guy say we have to get the cocaine. Oh no, they're getting away with the cocaine. Like he's some sort of undercover cop. It's like says calls it the cocaine every time he has to say it. Like that seems okay. It's it's it you know it's a teaser for a game that'll probably come out from five years and be incredibly disappointing like the division. But yeah, well. the trailer was okay. So that was Ubisoft. Yay. Yeah, Ubisoft and EA, I, do they even need their own conferences at this point? It's EA, like, EA is just, like, last year, EA's, there was somehow, EA showed no games at last year's EA3 press conference, and it was still a better press conference. Like, most, everything they showed last year was, like, here's, like, five seconds of a Mirror's Edge 2 teaser, here's, like, the logo for Star Wars Battlefront, and here's a game that's, like, in such in crazy pre-production at Criterion that none of the models have textures on it yet and we're going to show you a video for that somehow that was more exciting than what they showed this year so I'm going to say yes Okay. EA at least should pack it up for a year Ubisoft Ubisoft just needs to get its shit together in general like Ubisoft like had a shining period for a couple of years there where Assassin's Creed was at its height and stuff and like when they first announced Watch Dogs where Ubisoft was doing really great for itself and now it just feels like Ubisoft made Far Cry 3 and Far Cry 4 which were amazing made Assassin's Creed 4 which was incredibly surprising and really good and that's kind of it in terms of like their actual quality output and they put out a bunch of really generic derivative heavily sequelized stuff in between that you, know? you just listed all these games that I I didn't know we were still making these like Rainbow Six and stuff I'm just not even on yeah. that wavelength which is it's like I'm know. waiting for them to make another Splinter Cell game because Splinter Cell Blacklist was really good. Okay. Like because they they wait like three or four years to make a new Splinter Cell, and every time they've they've made a new Splinter Cell in the last like eight years or so, they've been really fucking awesome and like a lot better than the last one. So yeah, Ubisoft. Maybe next year there'll be a really cool Splinter Cell, and I'll watch the press conference and get <laughs> yep. that one trailer. All right. Well, Sony. Now we're getting to. Yes. And we'll say this for Sony: they kicked things off with something we were not expecting yes. to see. This. Sony's press conference was crazy in a lot of ways. It started off with... Definitely surprises. <laughs> yes. In, just in, utterly insane. Like, this whole fucking press conference. Fucking insane. So, The Last Guardian... Vaporware! It is real. It exists. Vaporware it, rises! It has manifested fucking Fumito Ueda, the guy who made Eco in Shadow of the Colossus and was fucking handcuffed to this game for almost like his entire adult life, it seems like, at this point. This guy who's like a creative genius in the video game medium and at the dawn of the 3D era finally gets to put out another fucking video game. It's like the the demo itself was kind of whatever. I thought it was like, okay, it looks like The Last Guardian. Like it's not a game that's ever going to demo well regardless because of the, the nature of what it is. It's just like, okay, yeah, Last Guardian. I was kind of disappointed that like they didn't just say it's available today. It feels like that's kind of what you needed to do at some point for this. Yeah. But, they said 2016, so they didn't say it's like, it's going to happen eventually. They've set at least a year for them to hit, so yeah. hopefully they actually do it this time. It's like, I honestly, I did, like, it was a remote possibility that Last Guardian would show up, but I did not expect it to. So. Well, but it's just been funny because it's been a remote possibility for several conferences in a row at E3, yeah. Gamescom, wherever. Everyone's wondering, is this when we see The Last Guardian? I don't know if there was any indication that this had to be it. And it yeah. was funny, and they kicked it off because they knew it's like this is this is how we surprise. Yeah, we people. have to get this out of the way. We have to get people to stop asking us about this fucking game. And it makes sense that at least like it's now just a fully a PS4 game. So like it makes some sense how it took this long at this point that like it was in development hell for long enough that it made more sense 
to rework a lot of the game just to get it to run on the PS4 instead of the PS3. So it's like, yeah, I, I will play The Last Guardian. I'm curious about that game. Like, yeah. there aren't a lot of games like that. It seems very unique. So excited about that. Then this was actually uh, the Gorilla's new game, Horizon Zero Dawn. This was, for me, the best new IP showed. Like, and, like, both in terms of, like, my personal interest in the game and just in terms of, like, demoing a brand new game that nobody knew about. This, to me, was the most interesting it's uh, basically the setting is post post apocalypse that like human civilization has fallen probably due to some sort of robot related incident and but like we like the human species homo sapiens have reverted to some sort of like nomadic tribal social structure like we were like tens of thousands of years ago and so like there's the remnants of sort of like near future human civilization left but everything is like taken over and, and, and mossy and you have all these people running around with cool souped up bows with explosive arrow tips because it seems like machine life at some point in this future has started replicating actual life and is like evolving into real creatures that are basically amount to robot dinosaurs. So you have a bunch of future cavemen running around with cool metal awesome bows with explosive tips hunting giant robot dinosaurs. Nice. If that is not the coolest fucking premise for a game, I don't know what is. I've, it hits a lot of buttons for me in terms of like, it seems like they're they're doing like cool big open like like boss fights where you have a lot of different tools. The setting is very interesting. It has a lot of promise. It has some sort of like third person action stealth component to the gameplay, and they showed a long demo of it. Like I thought it was like really fucking awesome. Nice. I actually did not. I got to this conference slightly late, so I okay. didn't catch this. It, that sounds awesome. It's re, it's a really really great demo. You should yeah. you should watch it. After I was following this part just on Twitter and stuff. And yeah. It does sound cool. I, yeah, yeah. It, and it, I like that they're letting Gorilla Games go yeah, free to yeah, make this a new. Yeah, it's like go go. Killzone Shadowfall was kind of okay, but not that great. Yeah. It looked really pretty. Go make something new, and then it's like it's really obvious that like they have been waiting to make this game because it's like it just opens up and you're like. Oh, it's such a breath of fresh air. It's like, yes, this studio has had so much potential. They've been shackled to this old Killzone franchise for so long. That no one ever particularly liked. Yeah, it's like, may, like they're all those games are pretty good to okay. It's like, whatever. But like, make something new. Flourish, yeah. Guerrilla Games. Flourish, you have so much talent in there. Like, make something you want to make. It's like, and if this is what they come out with, at least, like, who knows how good the game is going to be. You always have to keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, but you get points for creativity yeah. on this one. Yeah, but it's like, you fucking made a hell of a showing at the front of this. Like, I kind of wish they had ended with this and, like, put Uncharted 4 here instead and put Horizon at the end of the demo. It's like, because Uncharted 4 is very predictable. It was, like, a great fucking demo and looked awesome. I'm very excited for Uncharted 4. But, like... This is something new and, and interesting and big, you know, because obviously there's always going to be a lot of cool-looking new indie games, but it's like, you when you're at E3, you really want to see a new IP that people are throwing money at, that has some new ideas, a new setting. It's This game looks fucking awesome. Absolutely. So, yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn. Super excited for that. Then moving on, uh, Hitman showed up. Uh, it's... Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> not even going to talk about it because I don't play Hitman games. Uh, Street Fighter Five. Street Fighter Five will probably be really cool, and I will never play it because I don't play fighting games. Uh, Dreams, did you see this from Media Molecule? I think I saw the tail end of it. If you saw it, you would know because it was fucking crazy. I have no idea what it is. The guy demoing basically said, like, nobody is going to understand what I am showing here because these are the little big planet guys. Yeah. But it's basically, it seems like it's some sort of, like, you, like, sculpt things and, like, create dreamscapes where, like, logic 
does not exist and it's like some weird art thing where they had a guy with a polar bear head playing a piano it was all like kind of watercolors and it looked fucking cool yeah i think i have no idea what it is i think i came in at this like in the middle of this because it sounded interesting to me just following twitter stuff um this sounds like the kind of game if you know my taste this is the kind of thing i will like because I like weird experimental games. It's, yeah. I always have at least a couple of them on my top ten. It's just it's something I'm into. Yeah, so it's it's a really it, it made a really cool demo, but like a really head scratch. Like it, he literally said it like five times. It's like I hope that you leave this place scratching your head because yeah. you're not going to get this. It's like yeah, obviously I, whatever this game is is not going to demo well. I'm really excited to hear about what it is though. Well, but that's the thing I like about Sony sometimes is they're willing to just put out a game that isn't yes. going to demo all that well. But that's part of their identity at this point, and I like that they're owning that. Yeah, they. They, yeah, Sony always has at least one thing that's just fucking weird and you have no idea what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, seeing some of that stuff is always great. So then moving on from Dreams, you had, okay, you had Destiny come out with, yeah. like, the Taken King DLC that seems cool. It's a big expansion. There's going to be some PS4 exclusive stuff for a while. Like, this was also kind of the, around the area of the conference that, like... I tuned out a little bit here because... You had third-party stuff come so up on stage and it was like... Sony is the leader in the con- in the console race right now. They're getting all the third party deals. All the third parties want to show up on their stage. Yeah, that's just the way it is. It's like, yeah, it's not that interesting, but it's what it is. Firewatch, that game looks really pretty. I think it's basically going to be some sort of like first person adventure game kind of thing, kind of in the the realm of Gone Home. Mm-hmm. Like, not a lot about it, but it looked cool. Okay, here's the second crazy announcement that like nobody, we gotta spend some time on this. Yeah, nobody ever thought would happen. I certainly didn't think anyone would ever be fucking crazy enough to do. Final Fantasy VII Remake, which the trailer itself says Remake. Yeah, it's the logo from the back of Final... You know how every Final Fantasy has like their crazy font, and then there's like yeah. some weird picture in the background? It's the picture of the comet from the back of the Final Fantasy VII logo, and then it like dissolves, and it's like, Remake. It's like, hold, what the fuck? What the fuck, dude? It's big. Big announcement. Like, who... How is, like, Square Enix fucking insane enough to remake Final Fantasy VII? Like, I get that it's... People have wanted it. People have wanted it. Final Fantasy VII. Like, I'm saying, like, it's cool that they're doing it. Final Fantasy VII deserves to be remade because it's from an era of games that did not age well at all. Well, can I talk about this for a second? Yeah, Because after this, I got my Vita out and I've been playing Final Fantasy VII. This is always a game I've wanted to play. I've only played a little of it in the past. Yeah, me too. And I gotta say, holy cow, I, I think... There are problems with that game is aged. I think it is a phenomenal game. I think, though, its approach to story still feels mm-hmm. kind of trailblazing in that it just is off to the races right away. It pushes you along. It's all text-based, but it's so emotional. And it's in this w- weird, interesting in-between era where it has a lot of the aesthetics of Final Fantasy, like, 4, 5, 6. Yes. Uh, and it's not yet on that crazy path of 8 and beyond where mm-hmm. it introduces that steampunk future stuff, but it has none of the narrative problems those yeah. later games have. It's much clearer well, and simpler. Final Fantasy VII gets fucking crazy. I've never does, beaten but, it, but like, yeah. I know where that story goes. But here's the thing. From the beginning, it's yes. very simple. It's got mm-hmm. an avalanche, soldier, Sephiroth is a mystery. That's it. It's not... We've got our Pulse and Cocoon and Pulse Felsey and Pulse yeah. Lissy and Cocoon Lissy and Cocoon Felsey and what the fuck are we talking about? I don't know. And modern Final Fantasy games are totally... Totally humorless. Yes. All of that. Seven very much feels like the platonic ideal of this kind of Final Fantasy Seven yes. game. It's got a very weird graphical style because it was the very beginning of 3D gaming. Yes. Uh, as you know, that's just a time in gaming I'm fascinated with. I love like l- you know learning about that and Super Mario 64 and Zelda: Ocarina of Time and Sonic Adventure. All these iconic 60 you know uh, like you know 2D 
games that went to 3D and how did they do it. Yeah. That's fascinating. And Final Fantasy VII took, honestly, one of the weirder approaches in being kind of a mix yes. of these things. Um, so it is, it's a game that you kind of have to get your head around now, but it's actually pretty easy to do, I think, because it's the gameplay is so good and the story is so good. But yeah, it looks dated. The thing is... I'm not sure how you remake it other than yeah. doing a complete and total revamp. You would have to you have to you have to remake the it's you not do. you do not update the game. No. You have to remake the game. It's the same it's, thing like when that Resident Evil remake came out on the GameCube because Final Fantasy 7 most of what Final Fantasy 7 is graphically are JPEGs basically. Yes. Like they're they're 2D images. That's all the backgrounds in that game are 2D images. So it's like you cannot up-res that. You have to completely remake it. You have to completely remake it, but I also think just some of the way it does story, some of the way it pushes you through levels and stuff, it's not just remake. You're going to have to rethink how that game plays. Sure, yeah. And I wonder if that's what people want. Like, there's two hours into the game, Cloud is cross-dressing to get into a brothel to oh, save right, Tifa. Yeah. Some of the weirdest stuff, yeah. What do you do with that now? I mean, this is this game is so far away from where Square is with their storytelling now. I don't think Final Fantasy fans today would like this game now. But it's that's so like, different. That's kind of like the thing that's exciting about them remaking it is that yeah. it's like because it's something where I played probably like the first five hours of Final Fantasy VII, and like I like I enjoyed what I played, but I couldn't get all the way into it. Mostly because honestly, like the graphics turned me off so much that it was like it was hard to dedicate myself to the amount of time it takes to play that game mm-hmm. when there's other stuff to play. And so like the idea of them remaking it with like graphics that you know I don't necessarily need it to look like the most like modern. A crazy like hyper fidelity game but I do want it to like I need the game to like at least look appealing in, to sort of engage my visual senses in a way that Final Fantasy 7 does not anymore for me yeah. so it's like I want to play Final Fantasy 7 I would so like I'm excited for that remake but I'm also excited about the idea like you said that like Final Fantasy 7 is still in the era with Square where like even if like like they do get crazy at the end and all those Final Fantasy like Final Fantasy 4 they go to the moon at the fucking end yeah, the game, you know? like thing. they all get crazy but like the the journey along the way is so fun because they got the storytelling back then that like they really started to lose like around like Final Fantasy VIII I didn't like Final Fantasy X fuck that game Final Fantasy XIII I just didn't even want to touch anything in that franchise by the time Final Fantasy XIII came out and what people talked about it because it's like I can't stand where they went with the storytelling but like remaking Final Fantasy VII and reintroducing new people to Final Fantasy 7 and what made that game legendary what made that game a game that like has influenced everything that came after it in that genre and like basically all other genres what made that game like the game that has like the you know Bruce Willis is a ghost version of like spoilers for games with Eris like that's Final Fantasy 7 is a huge game it deserves to be remade and it's like it's cool that they're they're fucking putting in the effort for it which is, and it's a huge amount of effort because not only is that game like, you have to completely rebuild it, basically, to remake it. But it came from an era where game development was a lot lot cheaper than it is now. So that game is a lot longer than most games are. And has a lot more stuff in it than most games do because those assets are, like, 2D JPEGs. They were a lot easier to generate back in the day. So it's like, well, And that's if, what I'm talking about. Yeah. It makes me so curious because I really do think any remake of 7 at this point will be a different game. Like, it will be yeah, inspired by... To- It'll be based on, but it will not be like playing the original Final Fantasy VII. It'll be a different experience. Yeah, like they're going to have to like it's a this because it's something where I've seen some people say this like, well, of course they are me remaking Final Fantasy VII. Everyone's been yelling about it. It's got to like they're just remaking an old game, and I think it's like those people don't understand. It's like no, it's a remaking huge Final Fantasy VII is a crazy fucking thing to do. There's a reason why they have never fucking done it up till now. Like it's been. 
forever. I mean, when the Final Fantasy VII remakes rumors really started in earnest, it was like back in 2006 when they had that tech demo for the PS3. Yeah. They like redid the opening of Final Fantasy VII on like PS3 graphics, and it was like, oh, they're going to remake Final Fantasy VII. It's like, no, because that's fucking crazy. That's completely insane. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how they do it. I mean, this is so this game is so old in some ways. It doesn't even have voice acting. It's like that yeah. kind of stuff that you're going to have to read. The translation really sucked too. Like yeah. the original translation, they're, they're going to have to retranslate it. They're going to like I presume they're going to have to get voice actors for all the characters. I guess they. I wonder if like they they're going to get the voice actors they got for Avid Children back that movie. Hope not. I don't even remember. Like I I watched that movie. You did? Time. Yeah. Okay. I was at a friend's house who's like okay. was super into Final Fantasy VII. They had it. I was like. I didn't understand anything that was going on in that movie. Okay. I don't remember anything about it. It's it's definitely interesting. And how great would it have been if the Final Fantasy VII reveal was actually just Advent Children two? <laughs> like they built did all that build up. It's like you're slowly because I should also say like the trailer they put out like the reveal was really well done because it's like you could kind of guess going into it what it was going to be, but like there's always that doubt and it like you, there's no full on like this absolutely must be Final Fantasy VII until you get basically to the end of the reveal. Yeah, like it was well done. Was, you get to the end of such remake, you're like, okay, yeah, I guess they're actually doing it. Now, here's the question. Yes, in their press release that comes out with this, they said we have begun development on Final Fantasy right. VII. How long until we actually see this? I have no idea. Like, it, like again, like I have no idea what it's going to be, how they're going to go about remaking it. It could be fucking forever. Yeah, and that's like some of the, the weird thing about the Sony press conference compared to the Microsoft one is I thought Sony had way bigger, more insane, more exciting announcements, but. Everything they showed is like 2016 or later. Microsoft had more tame but still interesting announcements, but all, and all of them were for like the foreseeable future. And a couple of things reaching into 2016. And that's honestly why I got more excited for a lot of the Xbox sure. stuff because it's like, look, I can play this soon. I know it's coming. There's a lot of variables in the in the PlayStation yeah, stuff. Yeah, and for me, the reason why I like the Sony one is because it's like I like it when E3 is completely insane because I'm going to be busy enough. This fall, playing fucking Fallout Four and Persona Five, you know, right? Like, I'm going to spend probably a week of my life trying to figure out what my top ten games of the year is going to be at the end of this fucking year. Yeah, it's like I've got enough on my plate. I want to see what fucking crazy shit you people are Wait, doing. Wait, do we now. really think Persona Five is coming out this year? Uh, for us? Atlas has said that Persona Five is coming out this year for North America. Like, who knows? If, like, that might get pushed, but I, I kind of hope it gets pushed. Yeah, because that That's that alone is such a commitment. Yes, right. God. There's too much stuff coming out this fall. Right? Jesus. This year got fucking crazy Jesus. all of a sudden. Like, I, got, I, got I, thought, keep... I thought like, oh, this fall is going to be kind of sparse for video games before E3. And it's like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to live my life <laughs> yeah. this fall. I got I got to graduate from college yeah, this exactly. fall. Jesus, yeah, okay. Like, I, the things that I'm going to have to do. Persona 5 comes first. Let's yes, just be it's honest. It's the most no. important thing. There was also some, this is actually before they did Final Fantasy 7. There's some World of Final Fantasy thing. Yeah, who cares? I have no idea what that game is. Yeah, no one cares. Yeah. Um, what else? Okay, yeah, Shenmue. Yeah, okay. This was the big other this one. This is, yeah, this is something... This is... When I said that it's insane that they're making Final Fantasy VII, that doesn't even fucking compare to the idea that they're going to make, like, Shenmue three is going to happen. That is... That is like one of those holy grails. That is like they're putting Firefly back on the air. That's yeah. like... And maybe even crazier than that. It's like and like if Firefly had never gotten Serenity, you know the movie. And Shenmue Two is much is older. It's yes, Shenmue Two came out in two thousand one. Shenmue One was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. So yes, it's been fourteen a while. years in the making. Yu Suzuki, kind of like with uh, Ueda, like one of these fundamental developers in terms of like more artistic games, like the Shenmue 
Okay, here's the thing about Shinmu. I have not played Shinmu. I've listened to the fuck out of the Shinmu soundtrack because it was on the list of like the best game soundtracks of all time, like two years ago. I listened to that soundtrack. It's a really good soundtrack. Everyone should listen to that soundtrack. That is the most exposure I have to Shinmu personally. But I know about like the the legend of Shinmu. The, the legend of Shinmu. The story, like not the story of Shinmu the game, but the story about Shinmu the game and its development and its place in the history of video games, is that people. Always ask, like, say this stupid thing every time a big new game comes out. It's like, oh, The Last of Us is the Citizen Kane of video games. And they keep on like, what's going to be the Citizen Kane of video games? People should stop asking that question because guess what? It already happened. It happened in 1999. Shinmu 1 is the fucking Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane of video games. It is this crazy fucking game, like, absolutely revolutionary, way ahead of its time, changed the way that video games are made. Because it's a game in 1999, back when video games were just games, and Shinmu was an open world like life simulator where you like explored this town you like your character got a job like interred like you had full NPCs that had like backstories for themselves for the personalities names like actual characters that inhabited this world had their own stories like you had your quest to like find out like avenge your father's murder and all this stuff like just games were not like that in 1999 games were not like that until like 2006 and the game started being like what Shinmu was trying to be back then like Shinmu absolutely way ahead of his time completely revolutionary also a game that like crazy because it started development in like 1993 or 94 when Sega was kind of like at the height of like what Sega could be and so they gave Yu Suzuki the, 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 the developer who like had already made some of the best arcade games that Sega had they gave him like almost like carte blanche to make his game which that's one of the things about Citizen Kane is that RKO gave Orson Welles this like kind of unprecedented contract of complete creative control for his own movie, which is not something that ever happened in the studio system back then, especially, especially for, for a an unknown time, yeah. director who's in his early twenties. You know, so it's like you give this like creative genius and his team of creative geniuses like carte blanche to make the thing they want to make. They get to make it. Guess what? It's not financially successful. It does not do well for like a variety of different reasons. But it completely changes what that art form can and could be. And people who played that game, fucking, there's like a cult that follows Shinmu. There's a reason why Shinmu on Kickstarter has now accrued three million dollars in like not even two days. Yeah. But it's like you just don't have this happen. You don't have like this thing that like this incredible artistic achievement, like this this landmine achievement in the history of video games, like something that. Like, it's like one in a decade, like, it's not one in, like, 20 years kind of thing for an art form happen that then obviously is not going to be actually financially successful. And then someone come out and say, it's like, well, hey, like, Yu Suzuki never got to, like, even get close to finish what he was finishing, what he was trying to do with Shinmu. He's been trying to get this game made for 14 fucking years. This guy who is, like, a foundational creator for modern 3D video games who's not been able to make anything, like, significant for years and years who's been stuck making shitty fucking Japanese mobile games for the past like five years like let's get this guy out on stage and like let's try to actually fucking do the thing that never happens which is like put the art above the money it's like and obviously like there's a lot of stuff to talk about with the Kickstarter but like Shinmu 3 the idea that they're making this game this game is probably not going to be financially successful no matter how crazy the Shinmu fan base is going to be it's probably not going to make all its money back honestly like because obviously the game's not going to take two million dollars to make like everyone knows that it's like the idea that they're making Shinmu 3 
like even as someone who's never played Shin the Shinu games but has always wanted to, so like I hope they 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 must at some point come out with like an HD version update for those on the PS4. The idea that they're making Shinmu three, like it kind of gives me hope for humanity in a way of just like it's a moment where the business part is not the most important part. It's the part where it's like let's fucking let this game be made for once. Like let's let this thing happen for once. Let's like be the guys who like stand up for the show that's going to get canceled and like be this company that will stand up for this thing that should happen, who will listen to our fans. We made this promise of like everyone tell us what games you want us to come out and bring back and like what projects you want us to save and the largest reaction was Shinmu and I never expected Sony would actually get out there and fucking do it and and Sony went out there and they motherfucking did it, you know? No, and I I agree with all of what you just said. I think it really is amazing. I was just checking if Shenmue was yeah. on anything. It's not. No, it, it, right. the Shenmue one was a Dreamcast game. Shenmue two came out on Xbox over here. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I agree with all that. You guys know my thoughts on Kickstarter. I yes. think it's it's become a really skeevy, toxic thing when it's something like this, where a corporation that has all the money in the world comes out and says, "Go fund our project," because it has been confirmed Sony is co-financing this thing, yes. and they're probably going to put in significantly more than two million. This oh, is yes. this is this is just shilling the fans, and I hate that kind of thing. It's the Veronica Mars thing again that I find really because it, it would it would happen without the Kickstarter no the way. way they're doing it. Are you sure? No, no, there is absolutely no way. Again, Shinmu lost a huge amount of money. Okay. Shinmu two lost a huge amount of money. This is not a again. This project is probably not going to make its money back if history is an indicator. Like this project would not have happened. Like the way that Kickstarter happens sometimes is with a game like with a project like this that is going to take. Like, Shinmu 1, I think, had a budget of, like, $65 million back in 1999, right? Yeah. That's crazy money back then. Like, this game is not going to take $2 million to make. Like, it's going to take way more than that, even if they're not trying to be as ambitious. They're probably not going to be as ambitious as they were back in the day with the original Shinmu games. But what this needs, it does, is it proves to investors and funding, because Sony is a public company. Like, they have yeah. to, you know, bring this stuff to their public investors it shows that there is a legitimate interest in this game. It's not just people on Twitter saying they like Shinmu. It's people paying like $10,000 for the jacket that the like original voice actor for the main character wore to all the press events. That's the same jacket that the character had. Like it's that level of commitment and just, you know. Okay, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Here's what happens though when when it gets funded immediately overnight and it's clear the money is there. Why don't you then say we don't need the Kickstarter, we'll fund this? Why are you still taking the money from the fans when it's not... That's I mean, a drop in the bucket. Sure, I mean. but, like, it's also... Like, I, I, does Kickstarter even work that way? Can you just, like, stop the quick Kickstarter Sure, you don't like, have to... They are not. They don't collect it until it's funded. It, there's yeah. 30 days to go. Money doesn't come out for another 30 days. Yeah, like, I, I kind of see your point with that. But it's also... I mean, it is something where... At some point... Let the fans do like let the people do what they want to do with it. No, like, it's, it's fine. I, it's... Like they're they're aware of the risk. It's something where it's like for most projects, like for the Veronica Mars kind of thing, I kind of agree with you. But to me, like Shinmu Three is so significant. It's so like amazing that oh, this no. is Sh- actually happening. Shinmu Three matters a lot more than Veronica Mars because yeah. Veronica Mars ended. It was fine, and yeah, then like, people just couldn't shut up about it. Yeah, like Shinmu is this like thing that like. If, like, Shinmu 3 had never happened, it would be something where, like, 50 years from now, you have the people that are, like, the first, like, proper, like, video game historians, the way you have, like, film historians now, and they, like, look back at it as, like, look at this tragic project that was cut short in its prime, that revolutionized everything, like, what could video games be if this hadn't happened to it, you know? 
It's that kind of thing. It's like Shinmu 3 needs to happen. And I agree, like, it's kind of weird when you have, like, Kickstarter up there. Like, like the Kickstarter logo on the, the Sony press conference. And that, like, the whole thing itself was them announcing the Kickstarter for Shinmu 3. Which is a project that Sony is, like, co-financing and lending some support for and marketing for. But it's not a Sony project. It is technically a Sega project because Sega still owns it. And, like, Suzuki's still working for Sega. But it's, like, that part is a little bit skeevy. But it's, like... You have to make some business concessions. The, the good outweighs the bad. I totally yeah, agree like with that. Yeah, like, by an incredible margin to me. That's like... Yeah. No, I mean, as you say, this this incredible director who deserved to be doing good projects is being let out of jail, creative, yeah. so to speak, creative jail, to go do his thing again. Yeah. That's awesome. And it was something that was really cool about the Sony press conferences is that, like, the three huge reveals they had were all for Japanese games, where it's like Japan has been out of, like, the big, major, like prime game development for a number of years now that's like really cool to see it's like fucking Ueda who made Shadow of the Colossus like he gets to make his video game there he is at E3 it's like the Final Fantasy 7 which is one of the greatest Japanese games of all time like they're doing good by the remake it's like fucking Yu Suzuki is up on stage for at E3 in fucking 2015 to announce Shinmu 3 you know like that's crazy and amazing to me it's like and again it's something where it's like Shinmu 3 could come out and be like a complete crap game or could even like not come out and it almost doesn't matter to me right now. It's like what matters to me is that like Sony is out there like doing right by this kind of stuff and is like it makes Sony seem like a bunch of people who love video games and not like a company to me, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like that like one glorious moment where it's like these are human beings, you know? Like they they and they are passionate about video games. Like, to a lot of the people, like, at Sony, and specifically the Sony games portion, like, they are actually dedicated and passionate about what they're doing, and they really care about it as, like, an art form. And that's what Shinmu 3 says to me. It's, like, it's, it's fucking amazing. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and move on and finish yeah. out Sony. Um, I think there's only other one really big thing, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, I think there's, like, you know, there's, like, Call of Duty. Like, let's just, like, run through all that stuff. Devolver was out there. They just kind of showed, like, a quick, like, trailer with a bunch of indie games. So Assassin's Creed Syndicate is going to have exclusive DLC. That's, you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Who gives a shit? Sony expands their PlayStation View thing for TV. Like, that's kind of whatever. No Man's Sky is still No Man's Sky. Looks good. Morpheus is going to be a VR headset. Like, it doesn't demo well, so they only had it up there for like three minutes, which is probably the smart thing. Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 3 is going to have map packs come out first for PS4. Which so is traditionally that's a Microsoft thing, so that's kind of... That's that's it's probably a combination of Call of Duty is not as important as it once was, and Microsoft is not as strong in the market as it once was. Those things combined to that was Sony's big yan 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 moment. Yeah, sure, basically. And as someone who really liked Advanced Warfare, I'm kind of excited about Black Ops Three. Some of the stuff they were doing seems kind of cool. Disney Infinity 3.0, the Star Wars edition, is going to have exclusive stuff for PlayStation Four. Yeah. Star Wars Battlefront is going to have some exclusive stuff for PlayStation Four. Yeah. And actually, I should say that the demo for Star Wars Battlefront at uh, the on the Sony conference was way better than the one they gave. For the it was one. really good. I liked yeah, it a like, lot. It was, it was like the co-op thing was a lot more interesting than the Hoth because they showed Hoth at the EA one. It's like I get it that Hoth is like the big Star Wars thing, but like every fucking Star Wars game has the Hoth battle, and so it's like I eyes kind of glaze over like when I see for the five hundredth time a digital representation of the land speeder like tripping the ATAT. It's like I, I I've seen it. it. Yeah, that was more inter- the Sony one was more interesting. So then they ended with uh, their Uncharted Four demo. Which also had, like, the beginning of the demo. This kind of... Another thing that's kind of, like, heartwarming to me is, like, the demo crapped out because they are clearly doing a live demo and it fucked up on stage. And they probably ended up having to cut to, like, a video recording of it. So it's like, 
hey, they're actually trying to play that game on stage. This isn't some bullshit. Like, Uncharted 4 actually exists, and it looks the way that it looks right now in a playable form. And you know that for sure, because there's no way anyone would embarrass themselves on stage like that intentionally. Right. And I'll say this. I have never played an Uncharted game. I would like to. I've just never found the time. Yeah. I don't know if I'll play Uncharted 4. It might just not be in the wheelhouse for me. Sure. Uh, just with time and stuff. However... Yeah. This was the demo I was most impressed with at E3 just because I think on whatever level, like people are arguing, you know, how much is this actually playable? What's, how much of this is scripted that we're seeing, yeah. whatever. But that, the action sequence they put together for this demo is masterful. Yes. That would not be out of place in a Steven Spielberg Indiana Jones movie, and that yes. is the highest praise I can give it. Mm-hmm. And my heart was pounding by the end. I felt like I had been dropped into the middle of a great action classic. And that's incredible. And that's what like Uncharted at its peak does, you know, like it, it gives you that same feeling. That's what it's trying to do. And yeah, and just like on a technical level, Uncharted Four is by far the most impressive game shown at E3. I feel because it's just like Naughty Dog, man. Like they, those guys are fucking crazy. They are like, it's like, like when people call some developers tech wizards, it's like Naughty Dog is kind of the only developer that I feel like truly just earns that title because it's like. Every time Naughty Dog comes out with a new game, it's like, man, this is just like a whole notch above like everything else that is coming out on these consoles. Like, Uncharted 4 just looks crazy good. It's something where it's like, it's weird that I like had some severe problems with Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3 just in terms of the gameplay when I played them or when I played them. But when I think about those games now, like a year later, like I've, I'm kind of nostalgic about them in a weird way where it's like. The, the the crappy moments in terms of some of like the iffy uh, like combat with like the cover stuff that kind of like fades away in your memory and I just remember it's like you know like at the beginning of the trailer Sully who's like you know Nathan's like buddy who's in all the games like he comes out as the same voice actor and everything and I'm like fuck yeah it's Sully like he's a great character and there's Nathan and he's amazing and he's doing all this crazy shit and makes me remember it's like oh man remember in Uncharted 2 when you were like jumping from jeep to jeep and beating the shit out of these guys and like running on this train and the train falls off and you have to climb up the train and you're in this collapsing building there's that crazy fucking shit in Uncharted 3 where the mansion was burning down and you had to get out and it was like those games are fucking rad as shit it's like it's like the one part about them that was not particularly good was the cover based combat but I loved the combat in Last of Us. The demo they gave when they announced Uncharted 4 was a lot more combat heavy than this was like more of the kind of like scripted action sequence part of it. And the combat in that seemed a lot better. So it's like if they make an Uncharted game that's as good as 2 and 3 in terms of like this like action spectacle and story and character element, but also has like as good of a combat system as Last of Us had, like Uncharted 4 is going to be fucking awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm super... I'm so... I'm actually really surprised that I'm as excited for Uncharted 4 as I am. Like I... Because it's like I want new games, I want new IPs, I want Naughty Dog to do new stuff. But everything they've shown about Uncharted Four just looks really amazing to me. And know? they will be doing new stuff. This yeah. is the end, and I think that it's in the title. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool that they're allowing them to really build this and just say, "Look, we're ending this franchise." Yeah. And and then we'll go on and do other things, but we're clearly going out on top. Yes. Yeah. Uncharted Four, looking really good. Good demo to end, to end the conference on, even if I do wish they had ended it with Horizon. So it's like you come out with something brand new. But. Brand new, but I also think for the larger public, this was a mic drop kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a better it's 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 a better demo for like the broader public because it's yeah. more like appealing. I mean, the last moment of that where he's uh, Nathan Drake is hanging from yeah, the he truck. Throws and he throws his fucking grappling uh, hook uh, to the back of that truck and he's fucking flying under the bridge and like he's about to smack into that wood. It's like holy fuck, man. That is confidence. That's what yeah. I will say is that is confidence, and then. It just looks great. So, yeah. yeah. So, and also, it's like the vehicle stuff is 
like there's been a little bit of it but like I thought it was kind of cool that like the action sequence with this big you're driving a jeep thing which is not something that Uncharted has ever really done like in terms of like control so nice. that seems cool too alright let's make fun of Nintendo yes let's, yeah let's... and you know what let me start with some praise because I, okay. I want to say this Nintendo does have a couple games in their lineup right now that I'm looking forward to. I sure. think Yoshi's Woolly World looks like a fun little game. It doesn't look mind-blowing. It looks like a fun Nintendo platformer with some creative visuals. Sure, yeah. Super Mario Maker looks kind of mind-blowing to me. I think that's a really cool tool they've created. It looks like you can create some really fun stuff with it, and I'm excited to play that game. And I think their little demos for both of those were really nice. I thought the one where the woman was showing the little yarn Yoshis and talking yeah. about the game. That was just nice and so comfortable. She's sitting there like, they've had me in a factory in the back making yarn amiibos for five years now. Yes. Someone please save me. And one of the highlights of all of E3 for me was watching Miyamoto and the other guy reminisce about when they would make Mario levels. And, they, graph had, paper. and they had their graph paper there. That is just a nice little piece of gaming history to and, look and, at. And, you're, and I'm sitting there looking at it, it's like, you need to give all that shit to like a museum or something so that they can take care yeah. of it. Like, it made me remember, it's like, Nintendo really needs to like hire someone to make like a really high production documentary about them or something at some point just like yeah. preserve some of this stuff for like posterity's sake well absolutely because it's historic and just hearing Miyamoto talk about his philosophy of game design and why he made 1-1 the way he did and why he made 2-2 yeah. the way he, did, way he did and then the talking the fact that his favorite levels are the underwater levels which are the ones I hate it's like yeah. wait what? <laughs> yeah and then talking about how that applies to Super Mario Maker that's the best pitch for that game you could ever give now all that being said these are games I've known about forever. Yes. They're games I was going to play anyway. They're games that both debuted last year on their E3 yes. thing. And both had significant time dedicated to them. Yes. Last year. And everything, and there were other nice little demos they showed. Like the new Mario Luigi game looks fine. I like the integration of the Paper Mario stuff. Yes. The Every time I see Paper Mario, I get really happy in my heart. Even then yeah. I remember what they did with Paper Mario and I get a little sad. Yeah. You know, and there there are some cute there was a lot of cute little games and stuff, but there was nothing mind blowing, there was nothing particularly new, and there was nothing that made the whole thing worthwhile. This felt yeah. like a slightly overlong average Nintendo Direct you'd get randomly in April. You mm -hmm. know? It didn't feel like anything that was going toe to toe with anyone else. It and if anything, it just made their slate look kind of pathetic because there's nothing big. There's nothing. There's yeah. there's no injection going on that everyone else is trying to get. And there's not even something like small that's big. Like like I said earlier, last year coming out of the E3, the, the Nintendo video that they did, the, the E3 Direct or whatever you're going to call these things. Like my biggest frustration with Nintendo is that they have all these great franchises that they do right by their franchises most of the time, but. They just don't make anything brand new. It just never fucking happens. In last year, they, they debuted Splatoon. It came out earlier, like, a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, I don't have a Wii U, so I can't play it. So this is, like, all, like, hypothetical on my part. But, like, looking at the reviews for Splatoon, it seems like Splatoon is exactly what, like, I was hoping it could be. Where it's like, you know, it seems like the people have criticisms about the online multiplayer component in terms of, like... How it works. Yeah, the way the online works doesn't have all the, the features that you'd expect it to have in, like, the Call of Duty era. But the core gameplay, everyone seems to absolutely adore. Everyone's talking about how it's, like, it's rethinking the way that multiplayer shooters can work. That it doesn't have to be, like, hyper-violent, cover-based stuff. Like, you can do different things with the basic mechanics of shooters and make a different kind of experience. It's like, that's the kind of shit I want Nintendo to make. I don't want them to come out and be, like... We're making a bunch of spin-offs of our main franchises, and then we're making another Star Fox game. 
It's like I don't, and I can't stand this. Like they keep on doing this year after year. There was one bright shining moment, which is Splatoon, but that was a smaller title that like is not a big thing. They didn't give a lot of attention to it. It's like, and then this year you come in like hoping there's going to be another Splatoon esque announcement. And there's just absolutely nothing. Like, that aspect of the press conference completely falls flat. I agree with all of that, but I think you can go even more basic, which is that they're not even doing particularly good by their existing franchises sure, right yeah. now because Zelda didn't even get a mention. They didn't say... I mean, that game's so far away. They made such a big mistake at revealing yeah. it when they did because it's too far away. There's probably nothing new to show about it. I agree, but it's just... It felt like that was abandoned. There's also not a new Mario game on the horizon, like an actual yeah. mainline... You know, because the Wii U Mario game we have is a spin-off sequel to the one on the 3DS. Yeah. And it's fine, but where's, you know, the next Galaxy or something? Or 3D Land, for that matter, which was yeah. the next of those. So where's that, you know, and it's okay if it's not here yet. But you have those two. You kind of have a Star Fox thing, but to me, I'm not sure what that Star Fox game is. It feels kind it's of... Star Fox Zero. Well, I know what it's, it's called. It's the super prequel to Star Fox 64, the 64th Star Fox game. Yes. But it's like... I don't know if you've read all the reports on that game. I, mean, I, I not, don't think it's going to be a good game at no, all. No, like, I still can't figure out what it is. Like, it's very confusing what the yeah. control scheme is, and it's and it's it's nothing new with Star Fox. It's it's another yeah, pseudo exactly, remake yeah. of '64. So uh, I'm kind of fed up with that. And then all their other franchises that have been kind of neglected over the years, you know, Metroid, F Zero. I can't. The Metroid, the Metroid trolling here. Pissed me the fuck off. That was I am the a, most hilarious part. I'm a huge Metroid fan. I think it's criminal that they're not using the Wii U's power to make a new Metroid game and give us something good in that universe because that is one of their best franchises. Probably over the years their most innovative franchise. And there's a lot of stuff you could do with yes. the gamepad. Like like the possibilities like really spring to mind with specifically for the Wii U. You know. Yeah. And no, we're getting a 3DS game that's. It's even lesser than Metroid Prime Pinball because at least in Metroid Prime Pinball you are Samus in the ball. Yeah. In this, Samus isn't even a part of it. What yeah, it's connection to Metroid does this it's have? It's not even a Metroid game. That was the part that was fucking hilarious about it. Yeah, is it's like it comes up and it's like I'm looking at it, it's like this like it like sure like it's a first person thing and you have like a gun arm down to the bottom right but nothing about this looks like Metroid. Like if you did not have the Metroid logo and like the Metroid Prime thing there. I would just assume it's a brand new, weird, little, like, eShop game for the 3DS. Which would be better, right? Yes, because at least yes, that's exactly. A new... and, and so it's just, this one, this E3 felt particularly spin-off-y. Because we had no new mainline entries in anything, except Star Fox. And it's just, it's another 64 game, so yeah. whatever. But then, so you have, you know, so they had the Animal Crossing portion. And they had yes. one on the DS. I'm like, is this a new Animal Crossing 3DS game? That could be something. No, it's a spin-off game where you make your homes. Okay. It's the Animal Crossing... Actually, they have two Animal Crossing Amiibo games, I guess. Because that one yeah. has, like, your, like, the Housemaker game. Right. They have a bunch of, like, Amiibo cards or some bullshit mm -hmm. now. And then they did the Wii U one. I'm like, oh, are they finally making a Wii U Animal Crossing in 3D with a lot of nice, you know, HD... No, this is a Mario Party game with Animal Crossing characters. It, it's not even a Mario Party game. It's part of, like... It seems like it's the style of this, like, weird... Japanese board game thing called Fortune Street, which is kind of like Mario Party, but with no mini games. It's just like, oh god, there's because okay. there were if you paid attention, there were no mini games yeah, shown in the right. Animal Crossing one. So it's like, and it all looks kind of cute for a minute, but it's like these aren't real games. Like, where are your actual yeah. game games? Well, and... don't worry, they're making another Mario Tennis game. So 
They're making like the sure. fifth sequel to one of their Mario spin-off franchises. They're doing that, you know, at this point, I think those Mario and Luigi games are very good as Mario RPGs. There's been too many of them at this point. They need to find a new thing to do with their RPG Mario stuff. So that's not anything. It's just it was so It's also really offensive to me that like Paper Mario is somehow taking taking backstage to Mario yeah. and Luigi where it's to me it's like, "Oh, fuck you. Like Paper Mario is way better than the Mario and Luigi stuff." I mean, those games were okay. I played a couple of them. It's like Paper Mario was fucking amazing, man. This should be a Paper Mario game. And then like the Mario and Luigi guys are in the background and going like, "How cool is Paper Mario? He's so much cooler than us." Yeah, I mean, it's just even on that baseline of what you expect from Nintendo of new entries in their main series, you didn't even get that. Yeah. The most basic Nintendo move, we didn't even get that. And again, there are some cool things coming out. I think Super Mario Maker is an awesome idea that seems uniquely suited to the Wii U. It'll be really fun. But it's also like like and it seems But we've really known cool. about it forever. Yeah, we've known about it forever. And it also at the end of the day, it is like a level editor game. Like right. it's a little big planet style game. It's like that feels like a weird thing to like be the linchpin announcement I agree I agree it's your Uncharted 4 it's a level editor game and that's awesome like they they showed some of that stuff at like that Nintendo championship thing they did like before the Bethesda conference and actually like the levels that were made looked fucking cool Mario Maker looks really cool but it is not like a proper Mario game you know and that's why I just wonder Again, if Zelda Zelda has clearly they've changed their plans for that and it's been pushed back way yeah, way far. It might even be pushed back too if they're talking about the uh, NX thing, their like Wii U replacement yeah. next year, which is what they basically said in this video. I suspect that Legend of Zelda is either going to just be for that or it's going to be some weird Twilight Princess thing all over again. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Is it going to the screen? Right, where it gets Twilight Princessed, and in that case, the Wii U will have gotten lapped for Zelda. Basically. It will have never gotten a Zelda game. Yeah, and then also it would be really disconcerting if that happened due to like. Then how like how strong is the NX if you're just able to like do both of them? Because the way the way that Twilight Princess was able to work is that guess what the Wii and the GameCube are basically the same console like in terms of like yeah. the raw graphical power. So that's why you could just do that. Who knows? It's or and this is the tough thing. I don't I don't know what the NX is or how far along it is or what yeah. their plans for it are. But the problem is that if if it does come out for the Wii U, it'll and they're planning this NX soon enough, it'll be the tail end and it'll be a Skyward Sword situation where people talk about it for a week and then it's gone. And Skyward Sword, no one talks about that game because it came out at the end of a dead console's life. Yeah, and, and a lot of Zelda fans, like like some Zelda fans really loved it, but a lot of them really jumped the boat. And I'm like, okay. like saying that it's like it's, it has not fixed the problems that Zelda has had. It was too hand-holdy and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so... I just don't know what they're doing. I mean, the Wii U has just been under-supported from them, too, in a lot of ways. I mean, I love Super Mario 3D World, the one that came out for it, but ultimately the Wii U will have never had a what I would consider a big Mario game, because that sure, is a yeah. sequel to a 3DS game, and I honestly might have preferred to have it on 3DS where you could have the 3D feature that is key to that game's graphical stuff. Right. And, you know, where is the Galaxy or the Sunshine or the 64, you exactly. know? Exactly. Hopefully it's not a sunshine. Hopefully it's not a sunshine, but even then... <laughs> even if it was a sunshine, trying. it would be better than nothing, because at least it would be trying something. Yes, you know, you know uh, I, I will... Sunshine's I'll... not, like, irredeemably bad. It's just no. disappointing. And I respect sunshine for trying something yeah. different. I, it failed utterly, but, you know... Yes. Um, <laughs> and I say that as a big Mario fan. After the Nintendo conference, something compelled me to watch the... Uh... I forget what it reminded me of it. It was like something made me watch the last cutscene for Super Mario Sunshine, which has the voice acting for Bowser. It just reminded me, it's like, yeah, Super Mario Sunshine. Fuck that game, man. Yeah, so 
Nintendo's showing was just pathetic, and it was so pathetic that you got to the end. I what game did they close with? Uh, was I'm it? pretty sure it was Mario Maker. It was. You're correct. It was yeah. Mario Maker. And then they were just done, and I think everyone was confused, including the people on the stream. Like, are we yeah. really... That's, that's it? Okay. Yes. Yeah, the stream that I was watching with, like, yeah. commentary, because they were like, oh, oh, okay, like, I guess let's yeah, talk okay. about what just happened. Yeah. So, I think we've covered basically most of it. Anything else you want to say about Willy World? Like, the, didn't... No, I you know we got it at a release date. Um, I might play it if it's if it sounds good. It does look like an interesting game. Um, I hope it's good. It... it... Mario Maker is the only big Nintendo game this year I'm looking forward yeah. to. And oh, oh, the other two things yeah. I need to mention. I was, yeah, I was going to say, there's a couple things you missed. Fire Emblem Fates. Yes. That's Fire Emblem If. It got renamed Fates here. Yeah. I still like Fire Emblem If because it's crazy in Japanese. Yeah. Uh, the but tra- that title was never going right. to come over, no. over here. Uh, that trailer was good. And yeah, the- I thought it was a cool fucking trailer. Yeah. And- I don't know what happened in it, but it had like some crazy deer god or something yep. staring at a princess. And the press release says they are doing the same thing here they did, they're going to do in Japan with the two versions of the game. So oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. They showed more Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire Emblem. Okay, but I here's the thing. I still don't understand what that game is. Well, but here's the thing. When you watch the trailer, it's so different from the last big trailer they showed. I had no idea what I game it was. I didn't either. Like, I didn't even know when they showed the logo because they showed the Japanese na- title for it. Yeah. Like, I didn't know until the stream, the people A on the stream of- I was watching said, oh, this must be Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire. And I'm like, But that's the thing. Oh. A, lot, a lot of people, like the live blogs I was following, they didn't know either, and they had to refer to a press release that came out with the stream. And they're like, okay, this is what it is, and it's actually been renamed Fire Emblem Shin Megami Tensei. The X is gone. Oh, really? It's yeah. weird. So, And now it's got some music component. I don't know. That game looks crazy, but in a good way. I'm excited yeah, for it. Yeah, it's something where it's like, I don't understand... How it's called... Like, it just looks like a Shin Megami Tensei spinoff. Like, that's what... The, I don't know where the Fire Emblem comes in. It's yeah. a bunch... Uh, it's a JRPG which is, with a bunch of high school kids summoning shit to fight, like, demons or something. Like, something that yeah. they're fighting. That's just a Shin Megami Tensei spinoff. Like, that's all that game is to be. Well, they clearly showed less... Like, the last trailer they did at whatever that was, they had a lot more... Um... Gameplay. Yeah, there's a lot more like combat stuff. And as I said, then I think it's mixing the tactical stuff with this. So that's where yeah. that's going to come in. But this was this trailer was a little baffling because they didn't clearly indicate what the game was. Yeah, which was funny. And again, but, like because it has like a really crazy title in Japanese. Yeah. I don't remember what it is, but it's like a much more elaborate title. It's yeah. just like it just comes at the end of the trailer. It's like it's a Japanese title. It's like that's not. There's no it? indication yeah. of what this game is for English for the English audience. But it's just this overall. I mean, this oh, year they showed Xenoblade Chronicles X again for like the fourth E3 in a row. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, but no, it's okay. I mean, yeah, I don't care true, either. Yeah. That's why I was thinking it's like it's one of the weird things. It's like it's how desperate Nintendo was. Is that like most of the games they showed are all games that have already been showed? Yeah, you know? like like five like five and, of them. And here's the thing. I uh, apart from Super Mario Maker, there's really nothing coming out on 3DS or Wii U I'm enthusiastic for in the year 2015. And in fact, with the 3DS, it's even more dire because I can't name one game coming out on the 3DS the rest of this year at all. I don't know what's coming out. I know next year we're finally going to get Fire Emblem Fates and Bravely Second and, and some of those. Metroid Prime Federation Force come heading to the 3DS in 2016. Oh God, okay. Even that's 2016. There you go. But... So maybe they'll have a good year next year, but boy, they were just kind of throwing 2015 under the bus. Oh, I totally forgot. Are you excited about playing Hyrule Warriors on your 3DS? No, and they had another one that was like a, a Four Swords spinoff. Yeah, yeah, Triforce, The Legend of Zelda, Triforce Heroes. That looks slightly more interesting, but yeah. yeah I I never I never really got into the Four Swords games, so I can't really comment to their quality. But yeah. I thought it was really funny when the guys, because like, they were talking about like one of our main features... I also I really love the, the the guys that get to like voice over the Japanese people. It's like 
One of our main features is the totem pole feature in our game. We only allow you to stack three links. That's why it's the Triforce Heroes. We thought four links in a totem pole was too much. It's like, no explanation for why. It's just like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. It has, although I will say, apparently Triforce Heroes has uh, online co-op. Which is like, That's good. It's kind of surprising to me that like makes it so that game is, was theoretically playable for more than like five people. Because that was my problem with the Four Swords games. Is I had Link to the Past with Four Swords for the uh, the Game Boy, yeah, yeah. But I never knew anyone else who had it, so it's like I couldn't play it because it didn't have yeah. Link Cable stuff that I could do. So like it being co op online means that like if I ever got a 3DS, I could at least theoretically play the game. Yeah. And the 3D, the lack of 3DS support at the moment really bothers me just because that game is... That, that system has such a robust library already. Yeah, and with the new 3DS having just come out, yeah. like, I was kind of expecting, like, maybe they would at least try to announce a game that's like, this is going to be a brand new game that fully takes advantage of the new 3DS features and yeah. thus can only be played on the new 3DS because it's really cool. Yeah, who knows. Uh, and, you know, that, that Metroid Prime one they're talking about and the Legend of Zelda Hyrule Warriors, those both make extensive use of the new 3DS stuff, but they are technically playable on the old right. 3DS. So I, I don't think you would want to play them there because you'd have to do crazy stylish yeah, shit. Yeah, but... probably like the camera stuff's probably weird without the second. Yeah, no. yeah. So anyway, that's Nintendo. There's one thing we need oh. to talk about with Nintendo still. The puppets? Okay, we should address the puppets. Like, I guess like the format of the conference. I will say... I do really like that Nintendo just does a video for their stuff, especially since they don't have anything good to show. It makes it so it's like, I was actually really impressed by their puppet skits. Like, in between, it's like, they were just really weird in a way that I didn't expect Nintendo to do. Like, there's one where they had, like, Satoru Iwata Puppet Man sitting in his chair in his office, staring at a bunch of bananas, and then looking to the camera, and then it just cuts to the next trailer. <laughs> I was mostly just baffled, but yeah. Yeah, but, like... I felt like baffling and funny in a really intentional way that's like I don't know who organized that but they've got some there was someone working at Nintendo like some like intern or something who had a bunch of puppets who's like I have a great idea and like I am a weird fucking person but it like had some personality in a way that like made it an enjoyable video to watch you know so it's like I like that format for them I think it was smart for them uh, several years ago to stop doing E3 big press conferences because they just don't make enough games anymore on their consoles yeah. to fill a full press conference. And so it makes them seem, even if like they actually have a really weak lineup, that lineup would seem way weaker if they were out on a stage in front of a huge audience trying to like make these announcements, mm-hmm. you know? There's, but that was another thing I wanted to say. This is just linking into a bigger topic that I just want to at least touch on, is that they had a dude from Activision for Skylanders, the new Skylanders game, where they're having a turbocharged Donkey Kong and Hammer Slam Bowser figures for Skylanders that will be playable on Wii U Skylanders that have a little switch at the bottom that turns them into amiibos for the Wii U to read. They also had those two Animal Crossing games that, like, at least the one uh, board game had uh, amiibo in the title. I think it was and for ev- Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival. Every single game they talked about had amiibo support. Yes. What the fuck with Amiibos? Like, that's really what I want to talk here's about. Here's what I want to say. Are they're, they not the most disgusting fucking things Nintendo has, like, ever done as a business? I think they're printing money for them, and they've become shameless about it. That's yeah. it. I, like, I, I still don't think they're, they're... For most of these, they're, like, ruining the games themselves. Like, Mario no. Maker will be fine without it, but they are, they are shilling so hardcore for it, because... And it, honestly, what worries me about it is, are they using Amiibos as an excuse not to make actual games? Yeah. Because this is more profitable? It's something where it's like the whole Amiibo thing just seems really disgusting to me because it feels like 
you know, they're making forced demand by really restricting their supply. Mm-hmm. They're they're making a bunch of limited edition figures, and then like as the years have gone on now, for like the last two years or whatever, how long Amiibos have been around, like the games featuring Amiibos have steadily gotten like the Amiibos like content has suddenly gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. With like with Splatoon, with Splatoon, I know the Amiibo functionality is like you get different versions of the existing campaign maps that when you complete them give you unique multiplayer items and it's like for Mario Maker it's like the amiibos allow you to change your Mario character into like an 8-bit Marth or whatever and stuff you know and the more impactful the amiibos become on individual games the more disgusting amiibos become to me because they're basically like DLC with physical rarity which is really fucked up I agree I really hate because I've tried to get a couple in the last few months that I wanted. I, I wanted that Lucina Amiibo. I wanted the Toad one just because I like those characters. You couldn't get them. Yeah. They were just impossible. And it is disgusting because you would have to like, you know, stay up at a certain hour to order it from Amazon. I'm not going to do that shit for an Amiibo. Yeah. It's... And it's... Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's... If they weren't doing the forced demand stuff, it wouldn't be as disgusting to me. They, they don't need to be doing it. They're going to sell well anyway. Uh, but the forced demand stuff really is what makes it more disgusting than yeah. anything else. Yeah, it's, it's just something where it's like, I just want to at least touch about it. Because it's like, yeah. I feel like a lot of time people like the video games industry like focus on a lot of like the ways that DLC and stuff have been used poorly by companies in, like, in really exploitive ways. But I feel like... There's not a lot of people like speaking up about like how fucked up amiibos are slowly becoming, and like if that trajectory continues, like the moment it breaks for me is when you have like a Smash Bros type game or something like that where like a full playable character or something you need the amiibo to play it. Like as soon as there's a piece of content that significant or like a brand new level in a game, like that's where it completely falls apart because it's like I do not want to exist in a world where like my access to the full content of the game is restricted to my ability to buy these stupid, really rare action figures that are really shit action figures on their own, anyways. Yeah. So yeah. Fuck amiibos. Mm-hmm. Let's really quickly talk about Square Enix because there's nothing to talk about Square Enix. I don't know why they gave their press conference. It was baffling it felt like i saw a tweet afterwards i thought was hilarious where someone said it's like did anyone else feel that the square enix press conference more felt like a high school assembly (laughs) it's like that's exactly the tone like it was a bunch of people standing up there talking very monotone into a microphone with weird long pauses clearly not knowing what they're talking about like talking about a lot of stuff that they didn't show like enough like gameplay demo or like trailer for to justify the amount of time they spent on it it's just, like, really baffling. So I'm just going to, like, really quickly just say the things that they had up there. And if there's anything that catches your attention, we can talk about it more. Just Cause 3, which looks really cool. I've never really played the other Just Cause games, but they, they're always... Like, Just Cause 2 was really well-received. So this seems, like, really over-the-top and crazy. Coming out December 1st, 2015. Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Uh, then Crystal Dynamics showed a trailer for Tomb Raider. I think it was basically the same thing they showed at uh, Microsoft... They said, yeah, by the way, we're making that Final Fantasy VII remake thing that we showed last night. Here's that trailer again. Uh, here's World of Fantasy. I said, World of Final Fantasy. I still don't know what that is. I saw two trailers, two different trailers for that game. I don't know what it is. We're still making Kingdom Hearts 3. They said, they said that showed some gameplay footage. That was at least a substantial trailer for that sure, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, like, since I don't really care about Kingdom Hearts, I kind of passed over it. But it, that was significant for people who like Kingdom Hearts, like... 
we only got like kind of teaser stuff. I think when the PS4 was announced is the last time that showed up somewhere. So that was cool. And however, though, while it looks a lot further in development, it still just says at the end, now in development. So that right. game could be five years away, people. Yeah, there was also like some other weird Kingdom Hearts like mobile game or something. Yeah. There's it's, always like, reminded weird... me. It's like where's it, where's it called? Where's its title? Oh yeah, the mobile title Kingdom Hearts Unchained Key. It's like, as someone who doesn't play Kingdom Hearts games, and I imagine as someone who does, who, like, if you were someone who does play some of them, Kingdom Hearts must be fucking baffling to you, because you need every single device under the sun to play that all the games in that franchise. So that, that was the Kingdom Hearts stuff. Uh, Hitman showed up again. I still don't really care that much about Hitman. It's probably okay. Uh, they had a trailer for Deus Ex, Mankind Divided... Someone said machine apartheid on the the press conference, and I wasn't paying attention very much because I was bored out of my mind at that point. I was like, "Did someone just say apartheid? What what is going on?" I get that Deus Ex has like 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 true humans and like androids and like that stuff, but apartheid seems like a weird term to bring up. Like it's yeah. maybe a bit too specific of a historical reference for you to bring up there. Uh, they're making a sequel to that JRPG near. That Platinum Games is working on it. I don't know much about it. I know that game has a very rabid fan base. I had never heard of it. It's near spelled N I E R. Of course it is. There you go. Uh, I think that was the main character, the name of the main character uh, in that game. And then also they revealed Tomb Raider Go, which is a mobile game in their now series of mobile games that are uh, Square Enix franchises. Then with the word Go at the end, Hitman Go, which was actually I think really well received for mobile games. I don't know much. Tomb Raider Go. Go. Yeah, and Hitman Go because actually. No, I did play some of it because it's so well received. Hitman Go is kind of like a puzzle game, like in a okay, okay, weird, so like abstract way. The, the title Hitman Go sounds like some weird like Chinese yes, philosopher. I get it, but like Hitman Go, like the Hitman Go game was basically like you have a certain number of like moves you can make or something, and like this grid environment to like move your guy, and like you have to get around uh, other guys in this like very abstract way and like assassinate them. So it's basically like an abstract puzzle game. I have no idea what Tomb Raider Go is going to be because it's not that. So I don't know what any of that stuff means. Uh, then they're making a new Star Ocean game, which is a bunch of old JRPGs that I don't know much about, called Star Ocean Integrity and Faithlessness, which is a really super Japanese subtitle. And the great thing about that is that Star Ocean is obscure enough that it's not like Final, or Fire Emblem If. I'm pretty sure that's just going to be the subtitle that they're just going to stick with for the North American release. So that's great. Uh, then Square Enix said, we're releasing a Final Fantasy portable app that's basically Wikipedia for Final Fantasy, and it's in Japan already. Now it's going to be over here. Yay. And then they also said, we're making a new studio called the Tokyo RPG Factory, which is maybe just what all of Square Enix's Japanese studios should be called, because they're all Tokyo RPG Factories. And then they showed a bunch of concept art for something called Project Setsuna. And then I fell asleep, because I got up early to watch the Nintendo thing, and like this Square Enix thing killed me. <laughs> like, the, like it was really surprising how dull it was because they only showed they like almost everything they showed were for Japanese games, most of which are like games that normally wouldn't even come out over here. And there's like a couple of moments of Hitman, Just Cause Three, and Deus Ex and Tomb Raider, which I thought those were the games they were going to show because it's like this is a Western trade show. Square Enix recently has had a lot of big, prof- high-profile Western games. You know, all those franchises are huge over here. They barely showed anything from any of those games. I, why did they give this press conference? It was like 90 minutes long. What the fuck is Square Enix doing? Jesus. Somehow, they had a 90-minute press conference and had time to show concept art for a game called Project... Or for a project called Project Setsuna. And they didn't show anything for Final Fantasy XV, which is coming out like next year. What the fuck is going on Yeah, I don't... I, it was funny because that press conference started 
No one talked about it while it was going on. Yeah. And really no one talked about it after. And I thought, was it like, did I mishear something? Was there not really a Square Enix conference? And there was. It just wasn't anything. Yeah. I didn't even know it was happening until at the end of the Nintendo stream I was watching, the people commenting on it were like, oh, and now we're going to uh, cut over to the Square Enix conference, which is starting in 30 minutes. And we'll be talking about that. And I'm like, there's a Square Enix press conference? I guess I'll watch this too. And I really wish I hadn't. All right. Well, and that's the book closed on E3 press conference. We ended on a couple of down notes, but overall, as we said, this has been a fun E3. Yes. Any closing thoughts? Uh, let's see. Shinmu Three is now at three million seventy nine thousand two hundred twenty dollars with thirty nine thousand two hundred seventeen backers. I still can't believe that that game is going to get made. Yeah, crazy. And yeah, like I like you know, like you said, we ended on a couple of down notes because like E3 is always. Up and down. It's always up and down. It's always crazy. I fucking love it, even when it's like destroys my entire day. It's, and this E3, there was a lot of really exciting stuff. As we said, like both Microsoft and Sony had really, really strong Sony showings, along with Bethesda. I thought, and and it was interesting that both Microsoft and Sony had very different kinds of conferences, but both of them were very strong, but in different ways. You know, like Microsoft was very focused on like the here and now and the near future and a lot of strong announcements and some good like sort of broader news things for their platform. And Sony was, you know, committed to like sort of demonstrating the further ahead stuff that they're working for while also stealing up a lot of like sort of exclusive stuff and showing off a lot of third party stuff uh, for their console this year. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with all of that. It's been a fun couple of days. I think unexpectedly so. A lot of nice surprises. And just, you know, it makes me nervous with all the games I'm going to have to play in the near future, but also excited because I know there will be a steady stream. And I know I have to work my, this summer, I have to get through Arkham Knight and Witcher 3 at least, so I clear that docket for for the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, it should be mentioned, there was like two seconds of footage in like a Vita like Persona 4 Dancing All Night for Persona 4 Dancing All Night at the Sony that was the most enthusiastic tweet I made from this yes it yes. was like just the briefest glimpse of Persona on an E3 press conference always nice made me very happy yes and I think that's the right note to end on we will yeah. be back very soon in a couple of days with our summer movie roundup kind of for the first half of summer and talk about at least Avengers and Mad Max so look forward to that and then uh, you know Arkham Knight in a week or so we're going to have to start talking about that Lots of exciting stuff coming up. Yes. Fucking E3, man.